What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the ace of podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the ace of podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To keeping a strong style The ace of podcasts On the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll preview Forbidden Door, review New Japan Road, and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT the only browser extension for njpwworld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT. US today for details. Young boy, we were we were all over the dirt sheets last week, man. I learned what news aggregation is. <laughs> Here's what I don't like, Jeremy. Okay. I don't like when um I go into our group chats and I ask a question related to me not knowing something and instead of getting a concise clear answer i just get roasted <laughs> it doesn't make you like literally after i got done talking to you guys i kind of pretend pretended like i knew what had happened i wasn't totally still completely sure and then i went and talked to chris and guess what chris did in two sentences explained the entire process to me very easily and concisely judgment 
free. Thank you, Chris Samsa. Uh, the rest of my friends, fuck y'all. Like nobody. I didn't. I thought. I. I literally thought that AI was somehow gathering information from our podcast, and I was like, "Is that fair? Do we want this?" You thought uh, Chat GPT was just out here sending information out. Maybe, yeah. Like, I think they aggregate, too. That's how they get their information. But I was like, I don't... Why Why do six news sites have the information from our from our interview? The other thing, too, and, and, and I thought the interview was great. Again, shout out to Robbie Eagles. Thanks for coming on the show. We greatly appreciate it. But he's not the only bigger name we've had on this show before, but we've never been p- picked up. And I don't know... I haven't looked in the numbers in a while. I don't feel like we have an appreciably bigger following right now than we did, you know, say when let's say Rocky Romero came on here or, or some other guests, but for whatever reason, I don't know what post wrestling picked it up. And then all those other, you know, vulture sites picked it up. (laughs) Um, My question is Jeremy, how do we get paid from this? Uh, well, it, it's a long game. We we gotta hope that you know the the lovely readers of wrestling headlines and four one one mania and fightful and post wrestling will you know read their article and then happen to click on you know our link, go back to our app and subscribe. I don't uh, want that. <laughs> I want people to come directly to us. How do I stop the news sites from ever gathering our information again? No, no, we we want that. I've already no, seen. No, I don't want it. It, sounds, it seems illegal. <laughs> We've seen the Spotify uh, follower count has gone up a little bit um, since that news ag- aggregation. They're linked to our Spotify uh, link there on keeping a strong style. So I don't trust it. <laughs> it doesn't seem right. <laughs> it seems like we did a whole interview and then they copy and pasted some shit and made money off of us. I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, they gave credit that they linked back to our Spotify, to the Red Circle page. So shout out to any new listeners that we got from uh, (laughs) (laughs) that aggregation last week. Um, You know, in other news, happy Juneteenth, my dude. Thank you. You know, I I had to work today on Juneteenth. I got I had Juneteenth off, bro. (laughs) Seems wrong. Something is not right. (laughs) Something's not adding up here. This is reparations, but you know what it's reparations to me for? All those times that I got racisted at uh, Popeye's. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Payback. Listeners, if you don't know, you know, anytime we'd go to Popeye's, me, young boy, Rich, James, whoever else, uh, you know, Josh would always get his food less. Yeah, it's really weird, and it never ceases to not happen. Like we all order, I usually order first, but somehow I get my food last, but I'm getting the same things they're getting. It's not like if it, it'd be one thing, if I was like, I'd like the cod, you know, <laughs> something nobody orders and they're like, oh yeah, you know, take it out of the freezer. But I'm like, I'll have the, the Popeye sandwich, the same sandwich everyone else. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even alter it or anything. But every time I get it last, it just makes no sense. I don't know. Yeah, something. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. And it's, it's not even just a Florida thing. When we were in uh, New Orleans, WrestleMania weekend, we went to a Popeye's, and the same thing happened to you. So it's not just a uh, Florida Popeye's. Racism. It, it, it's nationwide. It's the opposite <laughs> side. 
Speaking of racist, bro, you're wearing a uh, people can't see right now, but I, I gotta call you out right now. You're wearing a Scott's Tots shirt. That feels inappropriate on Juneteenth. <laughs> oh man, I love that episode of the office. Oh, I hate that episode. It's so cring it's so hard to watch. It, it's it's peak Michael Scott at its cringiest. What you gonna do? What, what you, you gonna, gonna do? do? Make our dreams, dreams come, come true. true. <laughs> He's like, I got batteries. They're lithium. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. man. Well, we got a lot to uh, jump into. Um, Yeah. New Japan. AEW. Worlds collide once again. Yeah, that's right. Forbidden Door 2 will be on pay-per-view this coming up Sunday. Big crossover show between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. As of this recording, we only have four official matches, so we'll preview those. And then we also have um, some potential matches just based off of the TV and news rumors that could potentially be happening. We'll touch on that, too. And Uh, beyond that, we will speculate wildly. And we know you guys love wild speculation. (laughs) Yeah. So Goldberg and Alex Coughlin will be teaming up. To take on the team of Wardlow and uh, Christian. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, man. So, uh, Jericho. <laughs> so, uh, first matchup here we'll look at is for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. The champion, Sonata, will be defending his title against Jungle Boy Jack Perry, who will be seconded by Hook. Yeah, so I guess we should, I think part of what we should do here too is give a little background to how we got to these matches. And you know what, I'm going to open things up, Jeremy. Uh, We don't spend a lot of time discussing AEW. I know we're a New Japan-centric podcast, but I I think it's probably appropriate to have some pretty open discussion about the state of things in AEW because it's all relevant to the show and also what's happening in the company in general. But uh, with this match in particular, this past Wednesday night, we during uh, Dynamite, we had a, a video presentation, very short, very brief, Sonata, all decked out with the drip on. He had the suit, had the, the IWGP title, and he says, you know, I am Seiya Sonata. I am the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, and I'm putting out an open challenge. Anybody that wants the smoke, y'all can get it. Come get some. And that's pretty much me paraphrasing what he said. He said, so you like, already die. You already die. <laughs> and um, immediately, like, people started DMing us. Like, everyone was like, who is it? Who is it? Blah, blah. You know? And I was like, I don't know. You know? And and uh, it seemed like the possibilities were endless. 30 minutes later, we find out it's Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. Um, he did a brief interview along with uh, his quote-unquote best friend Hook, you know, saying that he wants to step up to the challenge and he would like for Hook to second him and be in his corner on that fateful night. Hook didn't say shit, and like we're off to the races. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw, Jeremy, this past week, um, friends over at the Super J Cast. What's up, guys? They put out a poll about what people thought of this match, and I made a very funny picture. I took the Mid South Wrestling logo and then whited out the word South. 
to where it just said mid wrestling. <laughs> and it got a ton of likes. It had like almost a hundred <laughs> likes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I think that might have struck a nerve with a certain, you know, segment of the audience and the fan base here. Yeah, it seems like um, you know, the New Japan fan, New Japan fan base were kind of let down or disappointed by Jungle Boy being the one to answer this open challenge from Sonata. I mean, there are a ton of top AEW guys to, as of right now who are not booked for the show. And, you know, there's a ton of potential matches that they could have done. But, you know, this is where politics come in play. And the thing is, Sonata's probably winning this match. So you need some. Probably. <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> hey, never say never in wrestling. Anything can happen. The lineage of the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, Jay White, Juice or uh, Jay White, Kazushika Okada, Kota Ibushi, Shingo Takagi, Will Ospreay, Seiya Sonata, and Jungle Boy Jack Perry. No, I, I'm just saying. You know what? What if Jungle Boy shoots? Uh, <laughs> what if Sonata gets injured uh, and and they gotta you know change the finish on the fly? There, there are you know possibilities. Bro, if, if if that's what happens, they better do a fucking double down. We're not pulling no. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That's not a joke. Uh, what if Jungle Boy's y'all not- better lay your asses on the mat for ten seconds? On both of you, just fall down. Just fall down. We're going to a draw. Just faint. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, Sonata, he's going to win this match. And so you, you needed somebody that Tony Khan was willing for Sonata to beat. And I don't know if TK's a huge Sonata fan. He wasn't on Forbidden Door last year, I don't think. And um, he hasn't really been a, one of the guys that we've seen on, you know, crossovers when guys come over. You know, usually it's, you know, Suzuki, Tanahashi, Okada, those kind of the guys that are coming over. He's never really brought, never, there's not really been a ton of LIJ representation on these cross partnerships well we're gonna get to it here in a moment but obviously there's two major selling point matches at the top of the card so everything else that's happening is pretty awesome but also somewhat ancillary so it's not as though they absolutely needed a hundred percent a stellar um dancing partner for sonata the other thing, too, is I don't know how much of this is 100% just up to Tony Khan. I think it also probably falls on the talent and also New Japan's office as well. Like, they kind of have to okay it. The talent has to be willing to do it. And, you know, let's not mince words. Let's not, you know, it, the, the reality here is Sonata up until this year was not seen as a star and he wasn't pushed as a main event guy. And he still, to this day, isn't really seen as a major property in the West. In fact, I would somewhat argue, although he's having a good title reign, he might be less known and less over than he was at in like 2018 at the height of New Japan's um, popularity here in the West. Like, yeah, I remember when we were in Dallas uh, for the G1 press conference and like Sonata came out and all the fans were like losing their mind when he was walking to the stage. Yeah, and there's also that association with LIJ and there was the whole chase with Okada that they iced for years and years and only 
finally paid off here recently. And it, you know, it could be a little bit too little too late sort of situation. Um, but putting that aside, obviously new Japan is still a Japanese domestic product. I think Sonata's having a good title run, but that being said, this is a crossover show and it kind of, you know, falls to, to ask the question, okay, he's not dropping the belt. Who do we have that makes sense that you can put him up with? Now I'll tell you right now, I don't think I, to me, jungle boy, Jack Perry is not a good fit for this match. Just for the standpoint that, yeah, I think the match is going to be good. In fact, there's another AEW title match that has a little bit more cachet that we're going to discuss here in a moment. But this will probably actually deliver more in ring in terms of work rate and excitement. So, from you know, nobody's saying that Jungle Boy is not a great wrestler. He is. And I think him and Sonata could have a very great athletic contest. But I'd almost rather them bring out an older name like a Samoa Joe or a Chris Jericho and give us a lesser match that has a name that's more befitting the marquee of IWGP, someone that you could actually see being a credible threat to the title. And I don't see Jungle Boy Jack Perry being a credible threat in any way at all. Right, yeah, a guy like Jericho, I'll see who we've seen in New Japan before. He's He was the former IWGP IC champion. There's a, a very realistic possibility of, of a Chris Jericho IWGP title reign that could happen. Um, so yeah, a guy like Jericho or somebody who's maybe not like a, a John Moxley, who's more of your kind of face of the company kind of guy, but yeah, somebody on that kind of Chris Jericho level, Samoa Joe, like you mentioned, a guy where it's like, all right, this guy's a former world champion. It's, it's a credible guy that, yeah, they, they could beat Sonata, where he is now we have Jungle Boy, yes, who was in the, the world title match in the, in the last pay-per-view, uh, double or nothing in the four-way, but he just kind of got elevated to that position. It's not a, a long time, you know, main eventer in the company. Well, the other thing too, is like, if you start to ask yourself the question about those other bigger stars that are out there, would they even be willing to do a job for Sonata? Do they see him as being somebody worthy of them laying down one, two, three? I'm going to posture and basically say, no, most of them, I bet you the bigger stars in AEW, like your Adam Coles, and I'm going to throw names out there that, you know, people who follow that company a little bit more will probably say like, oh, well, they couldn't be his opponent for XYZ. That's besides the point. Just kind of throwing it out there, you know, someone like MJF or an Adam Cole or Chris Jericho, you know, guys like that. I don't see them doing the job for Sonata. And that's kind of the, and also I don't know if Tony Khan wants those guys to do that either. <laughs> right. And and that's where Jungle Boy comes in. Now, um, talking to Rich, he brought up a, a, a great point and I haven't gone back and done the numbers, but like Jungle Boy hasn't lost on pay-per-view in a really long time, especially in singles matches. So I think that there's that sort of deniable plausibility when it comes to a guy like Jungle Boy. It's like, Oh, he's a world title contender. He was just challenging for the title in a four-way. He never loses on pay-per-view. He's got a stellar record, and he's got a big following. Of course, he's you know somebody that's on the level. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that the New Japan fan base feels that way at all. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And on the flip side, I don't think that most of AEW 
and their fan base see Sonata as being a credible champion at this iteration of his title run right now. Yeah. And so it was kind of a catch 22. Um, I don't know if that fan base would be really happy if a bigger star, you know, I don't know, like a Wardlow or someone like that were, were the guy doing the job anyways. So, you know, it's kind of a tough situation. I almost would have been fine if they hadn't defended the, the world title on this pay-per-view and, you know, the, the, the main reason I say that is because, again, they've already got two massive, you know, world title caliber level matches on the card to begin with. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you needed to have either AEW or New Japan's world champions defend on this night, especially since both MJF and Sonata are kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like uh, it. The word escapes me, but they're champions that are lacking that crossover appeal for the other audience. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No. New they're de- they're both divisive. Yeah. No New Japan fan sitting making a list of you know MJF dream matches, and no AW fan is making a list of Sonata dream matches. It's just not happening. You know, this, this correct. Would, this would be like you know if there was a an AW uh, crossover in Japan, and the challenger for MJF was going to be like. Shota Umino or Yota Suji, mm-hmm. where it's like the AW fans would be like, who is this, you know, new, like this young guy that's challenging? We don't know him. But then the New Japan guys would be like, oh, well, Suji just had a title match. Like, Umino's feuding with Okada. Like, it's it's just, you know, the fan bases are not seeing each other's young guys kind of get built up and the momentum that's happening behind those guys. The, the the thing, though, to also remember is last year's card didn't look great on paper. And then once it was in front of that, you know, raucous crowd, things it didn't really matter, mm-hmm. you know, um, how well the show was built or promoted beforehand or whatever. Because once they were in the ring together, the crowd was so into it, it kind of became magic and it was fine. So maybe there is a certain fire pro like cachet to this match and it, it and it's going to do well uh and i don't doubt that it won't be a good match considering the talents involved i just would rather have a bigger name in this in this situation and the other one of the things i feel about it is like okay new japan pretty much gets fucked by AEW a lot of the time when it comes to this partnership this is and they probably are gonna lose the evening anyways <laughs> <laughs> It would have been okay for just one of their bigger names, you know, whoever that might be. And I'm, I'm again, I'm not making the argument it had to be this person or that person, but it would have been a nice make good to just put their champion to put New Japan's champion over and like make them look strong and all that. Like I don't see that that would have been a negative necessarily. Yeah, and again, it's I, I don't know what the booking plans are for some of those other top guys and kind of what the politics were. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a great matchup, but again, you know, it's new Japan's top title and it's probably going to be like four from the top, you know, with the two huge dream matches and the AW world title match, essentially. I mean, the U S title match is probably main eventing and that's right. the, the number two title in new Japan. Whereas the world title is going to be four from the top. That's another reason why I wasn't sure 
that they were even going to do world title matches considering the other two big matches that had already been announced because it's like how much time are they really getting i mean it's a it's a four-hour uh pay-per-view plus probably a one-hour pre-show um they're gonna be you know cramming a lot onto the show how much time could this really get i'm i'm thinking sub 15 minutes probably um which makes begs the question did we even need these world titles to be defended was that you know would it not have been sufficient to do tag team matches like dream tag team matches or something like that you know what i mean yeah yeah i think there's some other options they could have done um but uh, one other thing uh i do think from a narrative standpoint there is some positive here because sonata is getting ready to go into the a block of the g1 that block is primarily filled with young up-and-coming rising talent that's the next generation and that's going to be a big you know overarching story and test for his title run uh narratively jungle boy does sort of fit the mo of that block and is almost like a forerunner or precursor for what we're going to see in that block so from that standpoint, I have seen some people make that argument that are defending this, and and I do think that that makes sense. But I will tell you one thing, Jeremy, and this might be a hot take, and this is something I, I said to Rich, and he disagrees vehemently with me, but this is just how I feel, and I'm, I'm ready to kind of stick my reputation on this. Many people see Jungle Boy as the future. I think he's going to be a flop. Really? Yeah, I don't think he's got that it quality or that X factor that uh, can translate to the next level of being a real star unless he makes some serious strides to gain more um, charisma and better promo ability. I just don't see it. And as he ages, his looks and the long flowing hair and everything that kind of makes him the star he is, that's going to go away. I know he's a great wrestler and I know that with the gimmick they stuck him with, he gets over with women and children and yada, yada. But I think when he goes to the next level, like the main event level, he will flop. Mm. I don't think he's going to be a big star. And I think that that's what some people are hinging their whole argument about this match. They're like, it doesn't seem like it's that great of a matchup now, but 10 years down the line, it's going to be like, remember when Sonata defended the world title against, now superstar world champion jungle boy i don't see that ever happening i think he is a guy that they have put too many chips on that is going to be a flop i don't see him as being a a top guy yeah i think i'm missing the the let it play out camp for jungle boy like i'm not gonna go out here and say 100 percent. you know he's a home run you know knock out the park star but i'm not on the end where you are like i don't think he's gonna be a star at all i I do think he has potential um, I think his promos have gotten better. They're not great, but since you know 2019, that they have gotten better. I think the, his Jungle Boy character has been evolving. You know, it's it's more of a nickname now. He's going with the, you know, the Jack Perry name. So I think there's been slow tweaks over the years that have um, kind of helped him out. And there's also a narrative here here for him in this match as well. His whole thing is he wants to win a championship this year because he hasn't won a singles championship in AEW yet. And so that's kind of the thing that's been driving him. He failed to win the AW world title last month. And so another chance at a world title here. And I think a lot of people are speculating that with this loss here, this is going to be a thing that makes him snap and turn on hook. 
Yeah, there's a whole looming storyline between him and Hook, which I guess is fine. That's going to push forward the storyline between those two gentlemen in their own company. And that's probably a good thing for both of those, you know, two younger guys to move, you know, up in in the world when it comes to their booking. But uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily want to see some sort of miscue or mistimed whatever between those two guys be the reason Sonata comes up clean over jungle boy. Um, the one thing, the one positive that might come out of this, I'm thinking is if the match is really great, maybe that endears Sonata to the Western audience a bit more than it is, than he is right now. Yeah. Um, we had two questions here. First from less commission, seven, two, five, two, Says Gale gives Tony Tanahashi and Tony gives us Jungle Boy. WTF. Jungle Boy isn't a bad option, but considering his bad booking leading up to the fatal four way last month, this is just basically an angle to set up his heel turn. What AW superstar should have been a challenger for Sonata for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship? Uh, uh, that's a tough question because, um, again, you really need to have a firm understanding of where each superstar in AEW is currently, who's available, who's not available, and for what reasons. And like you said, there's a lot of politics involved. But um, And I don't know that I think that Tanahashi getting offered up on the other side is necessarily great either. I think there's positives as well as very real negatives on that side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like, oh, you fucked us and we, we gave you a top guy. Like, let's face it. Tanahashi's not a top guy. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Um, right. I do have a list of, of guys that I think would be better op, you know, better options. But, uh, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on that question? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, we mentioned Chris Jericho. Uh, I think Christian cage would have been another good guy. Uh, I think Pac would have been a good option. Uh, I know I think he's recovering from uh, the, the broken nose injury. Um, I mean, those are some of the, the uh, first few names that kind of pop out of my head. Yeah, uh, so I, I brought up a list, and these are all guys that I see as being better options just across the board. And again, keep in mind, they're not all available, but in a perfect world, maybe they could have been if, the, if it was booked out properly. Adam Cole, Adam Page, Brian Danielson, Chris Jericho, Claudio Castagnoli, CM Punk, Darby Allen, Eddie Kingston, Jay White, John Moxley, Kenny Omega, Kanosuke Takeshita, Lance Archer, Miro, MJF, Orange Cassidy, Pac, Ricky Starks, Samoa Joe, Swerve, and even Sting. I would rather see all of those guys than Dude, Jungle Boy. Sting would have been awesome. <laughs> Sting would be fucking bro. Sting versus Sonata for his final shot at the world title in, in Japan. I don't even know if he ever fought for that title. I don't think he ever did. Would be awesome. Yeah. I think all of those guys are more credible and have more name value for this type of, you know, I just don't see Jungle Boy there right now. Yeah, a lot of those names you listed have been pushed up um, a little bit higher or, or already kind of came in with big names. Um, so, a lot, yeah, any of those guys would have been a better Joe's option. not doing anything. Claudio's not doing anything. Um, 
You know, uh, I think Eddie Kingston. You mean I think Eddie Kingston's getting ready to go on the G one, right? Yeah, he's going to G one. He's getting ready to do the Independence Day tour. That would have been a great name to kind of help with the crossover of him going into Japan next month. What's What's Hangman doing on this show? Hangman is a guy that's been in New Japan. He's got the crossover. Like he's he was in the World Title match at Last Forbidden Door. But do you see what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. most of these guys aren't going to job to Sonata, so we're. The reality is me bitching about how they'd be better. Yeah, they'd be better, but they're not going to lose to Sonata. And right. I know that. And anyone with a brain knows that. And that's the issue here. Adam Page is not laying down for Sonata <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> He's going to chop him in the chin first. <laughs> Adam Cole's not doing a job for Sonata. Like, are, you know, the only way that these types of matches happen is if we get 1980s booking where people are get, doing double count outs, time limit draws, you know, double DQ, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question from Stale Burger Bun. What did Sonata do to deserve a Jungle Boy match? He was mid for his whole career. That's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can try to you can try to turn over a new leaf, but you know, you still got to pay for the sins of your past, <laughs> my guy. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, let's take a look now at the AEW World title match. Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF, will defend against the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. So this is a very interesting matchup for a couple reasons. Um, The storyline was set up this past weekend as well on Dynamite, where Hiroshi Tanahashi cuts a promo, says it is I the master of the universe, the once in a century talent, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and I want to challenge you, MJF, to a title match for the AEW title. Uh, Renee Young goes backstage. She meets MJF and basically tells him he was challenged by Tanahashi, and he cuts a promo saying, yeah, that's not happening. I'm good on that one. I'm not going to be fighting some nobody from a rinky-dink, (laughs) no-name indie fed from Japan. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a pass for me. And then he says... Uh, and Tony, uh, if you think about booking this match, it wouldn't be the first time I've no showed a, uh, you know, a booking Yeah, <laughs> and kind of just leaves it at that. And that's been the story going all week. These guys been a little bit back and forth on social media. And, um, uh, it's really funny, Jeremy, because MJF has been hardcore, uh, in interviews and in, AMAs and um, you know just interactions with fans where he does nothing but bury Japanese wrestling. He buries the history of Perezu and he buries uh, New Japan specifically, and talks about how they're idiots and you know they work dangerous and they drop themselves on their heads and they're just fetishized. And the only guy in New Japan that he has respect for that he likes is the Great Okan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh hell. And I and I see these diehard New Japan Shinihan freak Perezu freaks that really buy into this shtick and they get hardcore worked by MJF and they fucking hate him and they are so pissed and they're like, I don't want even want to watch him wrestle, blah blah blah. And now he's fighting the physical embodiment of you know the spirit of New Japan and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Personally, I love the story. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's a great story, and it's been building for a while. Because, yeah, you mentioned all those interviews and comments. MJF is constantly 
burying New Japan, and he he's he's tapped in. He knows that a lot of fans are not huge on the great Ocon and what's going on with his you know in ring work and push. And so that was a, an easy name for him to kind of latch behind. And yeah, I think storyline wise, it, it makes perfect sense. The guy who quote unquote hates New Japan going against you know the ace, the face of New Japan for you know the last decade, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And yeah, I think it's from a storyline perspective a, a great pairing. Now, there is an elephant in the room that we have to address, and I don't know. Have you been hearing the rumblings and the rumors about this match not even happening and they them going with the bait and switch tactic here? Yeah, I've been seeing the rumors. A lot of people are speculating. A lot of rumors have been going around that this whole you know MJF saying he's not showing up is actually going to happen, and it's going to turn into the match we were supposed to get at last year's Forbidden Door, CM Punk versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, which on Collision uh, this past Saturday, CM Punk in his opening promo came out with a red, a red bag and kind of pretty much said that the AW, his AEW world title was in the bag. He didn't take it out of the bag. Um, and so people are thinking that you know, Forbidden Door 2 is going to come. Tanahashi comes out, MJF no-shows, and then CM Punk would then come out and defend his world title against Tanahashi. The real world title, <laughs> like yeah. he's Ric Flair in 1992. Um, I, I'm good on that one. Um, I'm not opposed to seeing CM Punk on the show. Obviously, you know we don't have to litigate that whole thing, but I'm not the, big, the biggest <laughs> uh, supporter of CM Punk right now. But... Um, uh, it's it's a crossover show. I think there's a match for him. I just don't necessarily want to see it against Tanahashi for the simple reason that they've already advertised this. And for years and years, you know, people have always gotten onto WWE for doing bait and sweet, bait and switch, you know, tactics, false advertising, things like that. And if it's something that's out of the company's hand, uh, that's one thing. But when it's a situation where you're doing angles on television and you're doing and you've got promotional material out and people are paying cold hard cash to watch a, a, this huge pay per view and then you switch out the the performer, I don't like that. And it doesn't really matter who the replacement would have been. I'm just not a fan of that in any shape or form. Um, so I'm really hoping that they don't do that. Yeah, if they are going to do that in any way, I think the angle needs Wednesday. to happen. Yes, it needs to happen on Wednesday where, you know, you have the MJF cut a promo. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing the match. You know, I'm uh, unbook it. And then Punk comes out or does a videotape promo or whatever. And Punk's like, well, I'll take your match and I'll prove that I'm the real champion. I would be 100% fine with them doing that. That makes perfectly logical sense. That's acceptable. That's fine. Um... As far as, let's just assume it is MJF, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I heard some people, especially like Dave Meltzer and others, complain that it's Tanahashi that we're getting and mention that there are other, you know, better um, matches that you could have done. Shingo Takagi is probably the, the one name that was thrown out there where it's like, this is a surefire, excellent match that could have been, you know, brought to the table. And instead, we're getting Tanahashi, who is a shell of his former self. He's very much broken down. Even these past two road-to-road uh, road shows, he was looking very rough. And mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll try, 
with everything in his power to show up on that night and be the Tanahashi of old, but it's getting further and further, you know, in between those big match performances where he's able to actually turn back the clock and do that. Um, my feeling on this is basically this. Although I think New Japan is hotter right now in a certain respect than AEW is, AEW has more plausible big names that are protected in their booking, in their personal kayfabe. New Japan really doesn't have a big four or big six the way they traditionally did for years and years. We're kind of reestablishing that. Yeah. If you really think about it, the, the big names that are really protected are mainly Will Ospreay, and he loses a lot, time to yeah. time. Sonata, and the only reason Sonata's there is because he's the current champion. If he didn't have that title around his waist, he wouldn't have that special protective level. And then the only other two guys I can think of that fit that mold are Tetsuya Naito and Kazushika Okada. Yeah. Everybody else in the company is kind of fair game right now. And really, the only two established top tip-top level guys are Naito and Okada. Everyone else in the company is levels beneath them. Um, so then that really makes me wonder if AE, like, I think Tony Khan has enough sway. He could have gotten anybody that he wanted aside from those two guys on the roster to do a job for his champion MJF anybody I think that there are people that are speculating that New Japan is offering up Tanahashi because it's convenient for them because he's aged and he's losing but I think it's also a case of they want his head because he's the most cached name that they could get that's in that uh, realm to begin with you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and it fits the story of, of MJF hating New Japan. So what better guy than Tanahashi to face him and defend the honor uh, of New Japan? And, I mean, you look at the list. I mean, there are, of course, there are other guys that could have picked. Like, I mean, you, you could have thrown out Ishii, right. Goto, uh, mm-hmm. Yoshihashi. Like, there, there are guys that you, you could have, if you wanted him to beat, there are guys he could beat. But I think with the whole story they're telling – and it being Tanahashi, and we know his his uh, popularity in the West is huge, and people are always going to pop for Tanahashi. Uh, I think that's why all those reasons are why they're going with this match. Yeah, I think on that night, if they brought out, like, say, a Shingo Takagi, he'd be really over in the building and everything like that. And, you know, this probably will be third from the top or something like that, so it would have been fine. But the story's not there for, for like, a Shingo. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't represent the heart and soul of new Japan. And as great as he is, he's not recognized by most modern Western fans as being a John Cena of the East level name. You know what I mean? Right. Beating Hiroshi Tanahashi for the title is a name that really resonates. And he's already really established in the kayfabe of AEW. He's been on their TV. He's, done main events. I mean, he's the whole reason why this forbidden door term exists. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I feel like he makes more sense. If, if you wanted to cash in on a big name, he's the guy you do it against and not necessarily Tomohiro Ishii as great as that would be, you know? Yeah. Um, Plus I I think, I I think that's the difference between these two companies is like new Japan, very likely aside from their two protected guys, would probably offer up almost most of the roster if need be to do business. I don't think that that 
uh, goes both ways with AEW, honestly, because yeah. I feel like they have so many protected guys. Yeah. But I, I also like the idea of Tanahashi just challenging for the AEW title every year at Forbidden Door no. <laughs> <laughs> until he retires. <laughs> that, that would be funny. Um, and I, I do think the idea of Punk being the guy to step in is very plausible and could realistically happen. Um, but I, I'm hoping it doesn't because I, I am a fan of MJF. Like I, I, I think some of the stuff he does is hit and miss, but by and large, I think he's really talented and I think his matches are great. And I mean, I think that he's, uh, more capable of have putting on a great match in 2023 than CM Punk is personally. And I think there'll be better heat and more, more interesting things happening if he's the guy across the ring from Tanahashi than a punk. So, um, you know, that might be surprising to some people because I know there are those fans that like, just, they hate the guy. They don't want to see him and everything. And they don't want to see one of their top favorite <laughs> legends lay down for him. And they're probably surprised to hear me, you know, a Stanahashi essentially <laughs> yeah. say that I'm okay with him doing the job, but that's what this is. You know, it, it's a quid pro quo, quid, quid pro quo. So you know, it, it's give one, take one. And I mean, Tanahashi's past his prime and he's probably going to be looking up at the lights. And uh, I think it's going to be against MJF. I think he's losing. Yeah, I could see a scenario come Wednesday, too, because I know a lot of the New Japan guys are probably going to be on Dynamite on Wednesday. The New Japan Road Tour is over. So a lot of these guys will be available for Wednesday's Dynamite and Saturday's Collision leading into Forbidden Door. So I could see Tanahashi showing up and kind of goading MJF, you know, kind of tricking the dumb heel into, you know, being warned to go for the match. Um, I hope they do that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Some questions here. Uh, first from Reddit user Lee Chang is Bay 2. Says, out of all the NJPW podcasts out there, I enjoy listening to you guys the most. You guys are the one true, genuine article in a business full of counterfeit marks. LOL. <laughs> But for real, though, I remember you guys being punk fans, and, and I am too. Do you think CM Punk will be on the Forbidden Door show? Kenta has been talking a lot of trash lately, and what do you guys think of his return overall? Do you think the toxicity and the controversy he brings is worth angering and alienating the AW locker room in the end, even if he is Tony Khan's biggest star? Boy, oh boy, have I wanted to get into this topic <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> All right, let me let me um, be very clear here, and I'll, I'll, I'm not going to mince words. I think that the reason, and I think the there are issues in AEW, um, some that are speculated on, some we know of, you know, um, that we can't really discuss on air, but. I feel like there is a very distinct line that you can draw between the height of AEW's success during CM Punk's return and the decline in popularity, interest, and, you know, them feeling like a hot, fresh product, all stemming from the brawl out, all out media scrum incident. I think that CM Punk has been, even though he was their biggest star, their biggest draw, and I, I, and you could probably argue some things against that, but by and large, he is a very big star. He's a very big draw. There's no getting around that, even though there are those talking head media podcasts that want to pretend like he wasn't a needle <laughs> mover, wasn't a big star. The numbers prove otherwise. 
But that's besides the point. I don't think anyone has done as much damage to the reputation, the image, and the feel, vibe, and authenticity of AEW than CM Punk has. And just a couple, without getting into a long diatribe, there are things that he's done. He has talked to the media, had people from his camp talk to the media, and then gone to the media and pretended like the media is the, and them, and the fake quote unquote news media is the reason that all of this toxicity has been spread. When the reality is, the the people on the other side of the issue, whether that be the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, Chris Jericho, John Moxley, they haven't said shit to the media. The only person or persons that are talking to the media this whole entire time for the past year has been CM Punk and FTR and their and the people that they associate with and are connected to. So they're playing both sides and creating a very ugly, toxic, um, you know, environment. They're taking a page right out of Donald Trump's book, basically, essentially with that one. That's really nasty. Um, he, you know, that whole entire media scrum, he buried every single person in the company. He buried the, the, the product. He buried the champions. He buried the owner in front of the owner, made Tony Khan look like a cuck. Uh, that wasn't good. And then um, nobody from the opposing side has ever talked to the media or done anything to defend themselves when it comes to the brawl or, you know, anything else that happened. But we know for a fact that this guy has gone off script. He has shot on hangman Adam page live on national television extreme, which is like literally the, the, the height of unprofessionalism. Um, this past week, he threw shots in his interview. He threw shots in his promo, uh, which, you know what? That would all be fine if these guys were going to work together. But if they're not working together, you're not building anything to, to do any business. So you're a mark. If you're not actually working together, you're just creating more toxic undertow. Um, I don't – I can't sit here and say and criticize Tony Khan for bringing the guy in or using him or pushing him. Because those are the things logically you'd want to do with someone of his stature. But he is such a negative energy and just uh, this ugly, dark cloud everywhere he goes. And it, it doesn't fail. It happened in ROH. It happened in Mid- IWA Mid-South. happened when he was in Japan. It happened in WWE. And it's happening here. And it's like it is – it's him. Like when you have – when if the common denominator in every situation that that you're in – literally leads to all of this divisiveness at some point you are the the issue not the people you work with um i don't i can't sit here and say they shouldn't have tried with him or they shouldn't try right now because they got this entire second show off of his back they got this influx of money and i don't know their financials but i personally as a fan i didn't watch collision i have no interest in watching CM Punk right now because a I don't think he can keep up in the ring with the in-ring style to begin with. I think he's a fragile guy. He's he's gotten hurt so many times. I don't know why you would keep investing all your money in somebody that has proven that they're not durable enough to 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 last at the top level and then has stirred up all this issue all these issues. He's continuously um, created issues online with his Instagram stories. And then somehow 
has convinced an entire segment of the audience that it's the other side. The guys that are literally not saying shit or doing anything. Yeah. They're the issue. How are they the issue? And I'm not even denying that they didn't do anything wrong to begin with. I don't know. Maybe they did. But his responses have been so unbalanced that it has literally fucked the money and fucked up the company in ways that if if I don't I hope this company lasts and is always successful, but if they don't, if they ever go under, this is gonna be the thing we point to as being the tipping point to when they started to decline. And it started with him. Yeah. He's a fuck up, bro. You know, if anybody if they go down and somebody writes, you know, a rise and fall of AW book, yeah, CM Punk's entry to AW is gonna start the chapters of yeah, of the decline of the company. And, you know, yes, his initial entrance and you know that big you know um last dance or first dance rampage brought in huge ratings huge success but um just the aftermath of the the brawl out controversy um is just leaving a black eye on aew um i mean there's just so much to kind of go into on that whole situation um but yeah, I think you know you mentioned him kind of playing the sides, and I think that you know he's he's taking advantage of you know kind of the narrative out there that you know Dave is a, a huge fan of the Young Bucks and Kenny, which he is, and just kind of their the relationship between um, Dave and the Elite. So I think he's he was able to kind of eat, benefit off of that kind of relationship and narrative when. You know, Dave and, and nobody in the media has been talking to the elite. All the credible journalists have come out and said, we have not talked to Kenny, the Bucks, anybody associated with the elite. Everything has been coming out of people uh, that are in, in CM Punk's camp. And like you, I, I did not watch Collision this Saturday either. I listened to reviews. I saw a few clips on Twitter. But uh, right now, like, I am not invested in CM Punk and uh, I'm just waiting for what is the next thing that's going to set this guy off he's literally a walking ticking you know Hiromu's the ticking time bomb no CM Punk is the real ticking time bomb like what is going to be somebody's going to either stiff him say the wrong thing give him the wrong look he's going to see the wrong sign in the crowd and he's going to snap like he is a walking liability for the company that's the perfect word. I think he's a huge liability and I think he always has been. And that's why like it, it, it's a double-edged sword because it's like, I get it. If you're Tony Khan, you're trying to the wrestling industry, the peaks of wrestling are always built off of mega stars and personalities more so than anything else. And as great as their product has been at different times with stories and great match quality and everything, They've yet to establish a massive draw for themselves in this country. And right now, a lot of WWE's top successes are coming off the back of establishing a few major draws, which is benefiting them immensely. They were trying to do that with CM Punk and issue after issue after issue kept popping up. And like from a logical standpoint, it's like you're doing the right things using the guy that you think is the right guy. But ultimately... He's more invested in himself than he is the overall health of the company because a lot of this stuff would be happening solely behind closed doors, never 
in front of the audience, in front of a live audience, in front of an Instagram live audience, or in front of a, you know, a media scrum. Like that shit just shouldn't be happening. It, it, it's an embarrassment at the end of the day. And it is one of the things that really declined my fandom in, in, in AEW in general. Um, and I feel like they've never reclaimed their identity since that time. It's like they're playing to two different crowds and can't figure out who they're trying to be, you know? Right. Um, and I think, you know, part of the whole aura of AEW was for it to, to not be like all WWE. the, yeah, WWE and any other previous wrestling organization where there's all this backstage heat and drama and top stars hate each other. And of course it wasn't perfect, but I mean, those first few years, you just heard about how great the atmosphere is backstage and the camaraderie in the locker room. And now we have all this divisiveness, you know, this he said, she said, uh, these camps. There's two last things I'll say about this, and then we can talk about him and Kenta. One, this is not a strictly, I hate Phil Brooks because like he said in his promo, he's so authentic, we can't handle it. That's not, or, or... We're getting worked. That is not it, bro. If Kenny Omega, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers and performers, did the exact same things that this guy did, I would not support Kenny Omega. (laughs) I wouldn't support Bret Hart. I wouldn't support anybody to have done the things that are provable that this guy did. And I hate the idea that there are those fans out there that can't just simply admit what's very blatantly in our faces and very obvious about the missteps and the miscues of this guy, you know, and it's gross to me. It's gross. And and I get the whole thing of people, you know, he was defending himself, but think of it. Like if you're in school and somebody's talking crap about you, you just can't go and punch them in the face. Like you're the one that's going to get suspended and get in trouble. And like, (laughs) it's worse than that. It's like he, instead of they talk shit about me, so I destroyed their car. Yeah. Bro, you, okay, that's that's not equal. <laughs> it's not equal at all. What are you doing? Um, the other thing, too, is putting all of the backstage shenanigans aside, CM Punk can't fucking hang, okay? Yeah. He just I, I, can't. You, you were ahead on that one. After the Derby match, you were like, yeah. He, I was. That was when I was first starting to train, and I watched him come out and have that match with Derby, and I, it was like – bar for bar stealing from Brett and uh one, two, three kid. And I was like, this guy doesn't have it anymore guys. And yes, he's had a couple great matches and there are those fans who are so engrossed in storylines and characters that it makes up for the lack of athleticism. So there, for instance, I don't really think the MJF versus punk matches are anything special. There are people who think those are near five-star classics. That's different from how I see wrestling. Uh, <laughs> I do think he had a couple great matches, like the one with uh, Eddie Kingston in particular really does stand out. And I feel like that last match he had with uh, uh, with John Moxley was very good. But by and large, I think he's still capable of having good matches like a Dustin Rhodes type level wrestler. Maybe not as <laughs> – he's not as athletic as Dustin is in his 50s, but whatever. But uh, – he just isn't a guy that I think is a top guy. And there's very few people in New Japan that I would like to see him wrestle anymore where I'm like, yeah, he could really have a great match with them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody. 
in AEW or in New Japan where I'm like, fuck, that would be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Kenta match is like the one matchup. It's a match that people have been wanting for years now because we all know that CM Punk stole the go to sleep and a lot of uh, Kenta signature, you know, combos during that, you know, Ring of Honor run. Also, he, he, he still uses the go to sleep and there's been some real heat between Punk and Kenta because of that. There's been a lot of words back and forth for years now, for decades. And these guys have always hated each other, never gotten along. Um, so that would kind of be like the one kind of really big matchup that I think would work. But like I said, there's, there's so much heat here. I, I just don't know if Ken because Kenta would have to lose, and I don't know if Kenta would want to lose to Punk. Well, it would be stupid if they didn't do this match because they've been going back and forth on social media and in different mediums that it feels like they just need to suck it up and do business. But you know, Jeremy, I don't, I don't normally come on here and be like, "Well, I was told," and say things like that. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you. I've been told by multiple people who would know what the fuck they're talking about that CM Punk is scared to wrestle um, Kenta, and it's been offered multiple times, not just now, but in the past. And he doesn't want to wrestle somebody that is going to potentially hit him that fucking hard. Yeah. And that's the crux of it. If you really think about most of his career, who are the guys that Punk has ever gone out there with and had a slugfest with? Guys that really could hurt him. There's only two that you could probably come to, you know, off the top of your head from his past. And that would basically be the Joe matches. And those are wrestling clinics for the most part. Right. Those are more like hole for hole kind of. Joe's not really, you know, slugging him. It's not like Joe and Necro Butcher. (laughs) And then maybe Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. And even that one, if you think about it, like he's not getting mauled by they're having a classic, you know, new WWE style main event. Mm-hmm. It might be one of the greatest main, you know, might be one of the greatest matches in WWE history, honestly. But uh, the only guy I've ever really seen take those types of liberties with him was like um, Eddie Kingston and Hangman. <laughs> they never worked together again. <laughs> Yeah, and apparently Hangman, like, fucking, you know, he felt like Hangman stiffed the fuck out of him. Um, I didn't see the match on Saturday, but I heard that when he walked out there, Joe, like, uh, chopped him so hard that he looked like he didn't want to be in the ring anymore. <laughs> I, I did see clips uh, of Joe chopping him, but I, I kind of feel like, you know, they're they're friends, and I, I feel like that was Punk's way of saying, oh, I, I can take, you know, hard shots. Right. I'm not saying he, I'm not saying Joe, like, acted out of pocket. I'm just saying, like, he took that job and people were like, the look on his face is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but I know for a fact that there are a lot of. I've been told many times by multiple people who would know what the fuck they're talking about. And I'd never say shit like that on the air unless I, I could literally back it up. I won't say who has told me because that would violate confidentiality. But I've been told he never wants to wrestle Kenta. So I kind of would be surprised if it actually does happen. They'd probably have to have worked something out because I, he doesn't want to work the kind of match that Kenta would want to work with him. Yeah, and I know Kenta's whole thing is like, give me the bag and I'll do it. So 
you know, maybe it's probably like I'll I'll go soft on you. I'll bury you softly, brother. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give, give you, me enough money. I'll give you that 2023 Kenta special. We'll we'll get some <laughs> ref bumps. You know, <laughs> we'll do some plunder. But now Kenta wants to go. You know, oh five on him. <laughs> but if, at the same time, it feels like if he's not going to step in for Ma or for MJF, what is he doing on this card? If anything at all, there is the other thing too where there's a rumor going on. I don't know how plausible it is but the rumor is that the elite won't be on this week's wednesday night dynamite since it's in chicago uh that which might mean that they're going to do a switch like punk will be on this week's dynamite and next week in canada collision is going to be the elite so maybe they do set something up for uh sam punk before the show i don't know yeah uh, let's go to the next question here uh, from the Dark Soldier. Should Tanahashi beat MJF at Forbidden Door to be AEW World Champ, then beat Adam Cole, then beat everybody in AEW, <laughs> and cuts a promo on how he ain't broken down like some guys in keeping his strong style think and hold the belt for years? What say you? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, uh, Let's commission seven two five two. How would you guys picture a Kenta versus CM Punk match? I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I can't see the hype for it anymore. How would you guys book this, and who would go over if you were handed control of the winner? I don't know. There's so many tangibles there. I, I, uh, CM Punk should go over. They should just work a 2023 style Kenta match with a, a few stiff strikes from both guys here and there to get the crowd into it. You know, uh, I. I don't think the match would be anything special at this point, to be honest with you, but there there would be those fans that are really into it just off of the reputation of like oh, the two GTS masters go at it. That there's real heat, yada yada. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I would book a kind of also come a mirror match where you have these guys both kind of going for the same sequences, same moves, and you know, they're they're countering out of the, the similar moves and kind of just a, a mirror match of big sequences until you know, both guys go for a GTS, and then you know, Punk would finally get it. You know, I would book Punk over. I would put Punk over too. I mean, he's the bigger star, and you know, there's there's more behind him right now. Punk beats him with the small cradle, <laughs> with the uh, Anaconda vice. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to the next matchup here. Big dream matchup here: the American Dragon Brian Danielson. Will take on the Rainmaker, one third of the never open weight six man champs, Kazuchika Okada. You know, there's not a lot to say here other than the fact that this is just a quintessential dream match. You're taking what is very likely a top five all time greatest. North American performer and wrestler in Brian Danielson, probably, you know, uh, in the 2010s, probably the, the best North American performer, um, you know, depending on how you feel about Kurt Angle. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably Brian Danielson. And then you're putting him up against one of the all time great top performers from Japan in that same time frame Because you should go Kata. They've never faced They've never touched, and uh, they've got to give this time. And it's it's got. I think it's going to be out of this world. 
Yeah, it's going to be absolutely incredible. The, the the term dream match gets thrown around a lot, and you know it's almost kind of turned into just a marketing buzzword for uh, a random matches. But yeah, this is a true definition of a dream match. And the great thing here is like both guys are are in their primes right now. Like this is not a case where both guys are washed. Like Brian can still go, and obviously Okada. He's in, in the middle of an amazing run right now. So you have these guys who are kind of at like the, the the peak of their you know their ability and their careers going toe to toe. Yes, I I think that they are both capable. I don't know if I would say Danielson's in his prime right now, um, but he's wily enough of a veteran to where maybe that doesn't matter. Um, my the only. Thing that I would say that uh, leading into this, and again, this is going to be a criticism of AEW because that's just where we're at with things. I haven't loved the way AEW has utilized Brian Danielson uh, in his run with the company so far. Uh, there have been a few programs that I thought were very good, especially the one with um, Hangman Adam Page. But uh, especially his role in Blackpool Combat Club it sort of feels like it's diminished what I see when I think of Brian Danielson. Like, I think that I thought Brian Danielson returning to like the indie slash, you know, non WWE scene would be like seeing him take all the best things that he learned in WWE and incorporating them into his former, you know, real life persona, Brian Danielson. And in many ways, he kind of just became like this veteran that worked with young talent and kind of just became like a, a working, hardworking, nose to the grindstone sort of like a, you know, vet. And then eventually became like part of the Blackpool Combat Club. And I, I don't like the Blackpool Combat Club that much, to be honest with you. I, I feel like all the, the some of their parts are actually stronger apart than they are together. They sort of just became this amorphous blob of, we're shit kickers, we're badasses, and we fuck people up. But those guys have strong personal characteristics and traits that are not being highlighted or utilized in any discernible way within that group. And I don't think that the booking of the group has been particularly strong, especially even in this program with uh, the elite. And that's the one thing I think detracting leading into this match is that Danielson should be a much bigger star in AEW right now than he is going into the match, which is why I don't see him being capable of beating Kazushiko Okada, who is the actual ace of, of the company. And maybe that's the perfect storm for what needed to be on the table for them to even do this, because maybe if he was a bigger star, this couldn't happen. But I feel like it would be an even bigger deal if Danielson was pushed better and had better creative. Yeah, I think the whole Blackpool Combat Club thing just became a real hot mess with, you know, Regal leaving early and, you know, they still have this name that's attached to him. I mean, I like all the guys in the group and I, I love the uh, the main event from the pay-per-view, the, the anarchy in the arena. But I do agree with you when it comes to them uh, kind of being a group. If it kind of feels like you're kind of stuck forcing all those guys in multi-mans instead of doing single programs with Mox versus somebody, Brian versus somebody. It's like they're almost kind of stuck in like trios and eight-mans 
which it's fine for a point, but I do, you know, like you mentioned, these are like top guys, especially Moxley and Brian Danielson. These are top guys that you could have in two separate big programs that you could use a draw instead of kind of sticking them in one program. They just don't come across as stars to me the way that, like, say, the elite, even though when they're teamed together, they're still a, a unit, They their individual characters and personas are still very apparent. You know what I mean? Yeah. That just kind of doesn't – I feel like they they diminish the guys in Blackpool Combat Club when they're in this group. They just kind of become, like, thugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, like, beat them up thugs, like the kind of guys you would fight in Final Fight. You know, yeah. Um, but putting all that aside, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we're getting Brian Danielson versus Kazushiko Okada. The crowd is going to be so hot for this, and the fact that these two guys take so much personal pride in their work and they're fighting on the same night on the same card as two guys that they have a lot of respect history with and probably a professional rivalry with in Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, we're going to get kind of an, a, a reignition of what we used to see when Kenny was the U S champion and Okada was the world champion. Mm. And they were like having singles matches on the same nights and they were trying to outdo each other. And it was like, Holy fuck, <laughs> this company rules. So yeah. Top well, this brother. <laughs> yeah, bro. Top this brother. Like, Okada and, and Danielson are going to go out there and try to put on the best match of the night, and then they're going to be like, all right, follow that. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder. Um, this isn't going to happen, but when I heard this match was happening, I was like, do you think Okada pulls a 20 – when was all in? 2019? Uh, 2018? 2018. Do you think he's going to pull a 2018 Okada and go two – Oh, oh fuck. That would be hilarious if he did. <laughs> oh man. Um but yeah, uh I think the over under is like twenty five minutes. Yeah. On the match time. And what 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 are you what are you thinking star ratings wise? Where you think it's gonna land? Uh I mean it's Dave. Dave's probably gonna go I, I can't see Dave going like less than five. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this is like a, a walk, like just the entrance alone. It'll be at four and a half. They're gonna get a, they're gonna get a four star like walking in their sleep match, and it's probably gonna be much better than that. Yeah, like I, I have a hard time seeing this be like any less than four and a half. I feel like four and a half like the floor. This very well could be wind up being though uh, Okada's best match in America. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm so looking forward to it, and I, I think he needs to win. I, I think he does need to win, but because neither man is a major singles champion right now, it does open the door for either guy to win. And it's not the craziest thing in the world to think that Danielson could win. I just think it's a highly, I think it's like a 20 to 80, you know, I think Okada's winning. Yeah. A question here from Les Commission seven two five two says Brian Danielson has talked about wanting wanting to wrestle Zack Saber Jr. at All Out in Wembley Stadium. Do you guys think that Daddy Gato and Uncle Tony will make an agreement and present us with that match, even though we can't get Danielson in Japan for the G one? In my opinion, this makes up with him facing Okada and Forbidden Door, and quite possibly 
might face Zach at England. I would love that. And I, I really expected that match to be the match taking place here this year. Admittedly, as cool as that match would be, I am glad we're getting Okada <laughs> Danielson. That's this is almost because I kind of thought we were getting Mox versus Okada. On yeah, this night. same. Yeah. So this is even cooler, but I, I'm not opposed to it. But I got to tell you, if they can do this, and I don't know if they're going to do it, but they've kind of teased it a little bit. But if they can do Nigel McGuinness versus Brian Danielson in England, they should just do that. Yeah, they have kind of, there's been a subtle tease of that, and that would be incredible. I mean, I have no idea if Nigel, what his in-ring work looks like in 2023, but. Bro, I, I was talking to Rich the other day um, about that match, and he was like, I'm cool on that. And I was like, bro, have you ever seen any of their oh matches? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, let me just make it very simple. Steamboat Flare. Tanahashi versus Okada. It's right in the same league as those types of feuds. And when you go online, they've got like, I think 13 singles matches. Maybe 11 of them have made tape. Most of them are in ROH. And, you know, there's like five of them that are in the nines. Dude. And most of them, most of them are in the eights. Almost all of them. Like it's one of the greatest singles feuds in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, and those guys were both on the same level leaving ROH. It just happened yeah. that Danielson got the WWE and Nigel failed the, the wellness and had to go, to, or the uh, the physical and had to go to Impact. Like, bro, in the matches he had an impact with like Angle, Angle really and, and Joe. Yeah. Like, their careers don't could, know. could easily be flipped. Like, McGinnis could be Brian Danielson right now. Yeah, people don't know. People don't realize. Like, Nigel McGinnis is was every bit the wrestler that Brian Danielson was. Yeah. So, if- and, and I would love to see him come back for like one last match. Like I know that like we've done some of that sort of stuff with like Shibata coming back and, and everything. But like, if there was ever a guy that deserved to have that one comeback match on, on a, a big, big stage, stage yeah. yeah, it's Nigel fucking McGinnis. Yeah. So yeah, if it's possible, yeah, that would be dope. But I mean, Brian Saber would be awesome as well. Even if they just had to have like a, you know, I don't even know what the status of his health is, but even if they had to have like a pure rules match. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. A lot of, they have, they've had some great pure rules match, that unification right. match for the, the pure and ROH title. Like, yeah, but that's the match where they were doing the, the headshots into the, tur- <laughs> into the <turn-off. laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Th- that would, but be yeah, I'd, I'd be fine. If they can't do that, I'd be fine with getting Zach and, and Danielson in Wembley. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the last announced matchup and it will probably be the main event for the evening for the IWGP United States heavyweight title the champion, the cleaner, the best bout machine, Kenny Omega, will take on the Commonwealth Kingpin, Will Ospreay. Well, uh, we're here. Um, this was the match of the year this past year. One of the best matches in in many, many years. And uh, was one of the top matches at the Tokyo Dome on January 4th at Wrestle Kingdom. And... You know, Will Ospreay was in the middle of one of the, if not the greatest U.S. title reigns in the history of that that championship. And 
he got destroyed and decimated and brutalized by Kenny Omega in the Tokyo Dome and just kind of humiliated. He got bloodied, he got beaten, and both guys showed what they're made of. But that match was a, a lot more physical than a lot of people were expecting and told an incredible story. And in the post-match, Will kind of made a proclamation that if he can't hang with Kenny Omega and get that win back before the end of the year, there's no point in him continuing to wrestle or be in New Japan. Here we are. It's July. We're getting Forbidden Door in Canada, Kenny Omega's home country, and Will Omega, or, and Will Ospreay, is, even though this is a, cro, uh, a cross-branded, co-branded uh, pay-per-view, Kenny Omega, or I'm sorry, Will Ospreay is sort of going into enemy territories, going into this guy's home country to try and reclaim his title and bring the U.S. title back to New Japan and get that win back. And I don't know if he's going to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, that they've you know played their cards so well with this story. Like you mentioned, uh, the Wrestle Kingdom match. You know, right now every match is still competing against that match to be the match of 2023. Just absolutely uh, incredible uh, matchup, and yeah, the fact that we're getting this match again this year is insane. And what's even more insane is the fact that they were holding back. From and that January fourth match, like there were spots and moves and sequences that they purposely didn't do to save for future matches, and that match was is the best match of this year so far. So just imagine when they're going to be able to unload even more stuff that they didn't do in the Tokyo Dome, and plus I'm sure there's going to be counters to spots from the Tokyo Dome, which is going to blow our mind. So yeah, I mean the framework here is for another. You know, standout match uh, for these guys, but yeah, the the finish is in question. I think a lot of you know diehard New Japan fans want to see Osprey win and you know save the U.S. title, bring it back to the promotion. And I think there are a lot of AW fans that want to see Kenny win. I think it's cool that Kenny has a New Japan title, and I think people want to see Kenny do some more New Japan stuff too. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I do think it can go either way. Especially, I guess it depends what's, what's the destination. If you're going for a third match in Wembley Stadium, I, I kind of feel like either Osprey has to win or there has to be some kind of, you know, screwy finish. Yeah. Um, there are other... Yeah, it's definitely been disappointing to some extent. Um the involvement of Kenny Omega with New Japan post January, uh, it wasn't quite what we had envisioned or imagined. And maybe those people that we labeled as haters and detractors were in the right when it came to that whole aspect of it, because he's never been able to get away to come back to Japan and defend that title or even make any appearances. Uh, so that's kind of sucked, but it does kind of create this narrative now where it's like, not only is Will doing this for his own personal pride, but he's also trying to reclaim the title that's sort of hijacked in America on AEW with Kenny Omega. So there's that aspect to it. But, you know, uh, delving in a little bit into the personal ongoings with the kayfabe, recently Kenny Omega uh, split from Don Callis and Don aligned himself with Kenosuke Takeshita and there's sort of an ongoing 
issue with those guys. And one has to wonder if that's in any way going to come into play with this match, because uh, back in January, there was the whole aspect where Don seconded Kenny and Don was saying like that Kenny was this God of pro wrestling. And he, you know, even though will was maybe the greatest athlete he'd ever seen. Kenny was levels above him when it just comes to the pure art of professional wrestling. Yeah. Well, now now Don's not with Kenny. He's with Takeshita. And, you know, he's trying to cause hell and havoc for him and the rest of the elite and everything like that. I I do wonder if that's going to come into play or affect this match in any way. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Yeah, we, we could be seeing um, some interference from Don or Takeshita. Uh, we did see there was a, a hot closing angle on Dynamite this past week with, uh, you know, after the Elite versus BCC match. and With everybody. Yeah, everybody was running in, you know, Eddie Kingston ran in, attacked Claudio, and then you had Kanosuke come out, uh, beating up the Elite, and then um, Osprey came out and hit the the Hidden Blade on Omega, and kind of left left Omega laying. Um, so I mean, there's this whole thing too of Don saying, you know, he's building, you know, his family, the Callus family, and you know, he's calling Kanosuke, you know, El Hijo de Don Callus. <laughs> um, so there is a possibility of maybe you know Osprey does kind of become quote-unquote, maybe part of Don Callis' family, or there is some kind of relationship struck between Don mm-hmm. and Will. I think the one weird thing, though, of this story is it kind of started out with Kenny kind of being more of the heel and Will being the baby face. And now that we're in AEW's territory, in Kenny's territory, and it's being a more of an AEW production, the story is kind of shifting to... Kenny being the face here and Will being the heel. Yeah, I think that's to be expected just because of the heel face alignment in the ver- in this company versus the other one. So that's not too surprising to me. But um, getting back to some of the stuff that you had mentioned from the offset, it does depend on where they're going if they're trying to arrive at a third and final match. And it, it is really tough. I do see this as more of a 50 50 endeavor than I did the January 4th match where we were both pretty convinced that Kenny was going to win. So you'd set up the rematch, but um, I think you can get to a third match. If that's what you're looking to do with either guy winning, it just depends on what story you're telling and it depends on how you're booking it. But um, you know, because you can do, both guys have split the win and now we're going to look for the definitive winner. And maybe you do that at Wembley or some big show like that. The other way that that might come to fruition is you fought. And this is what I'm leaning to a little bit more. And this is probably not what people want to hear, especially fans in new Japan, but <laughs> the FTR versus Briscoe's, uh, booking pattern where FTR picked up the win the first two times. And then in the third final definitive match, the Briscoes were able to finally vanquish their foes, win the titles and come out the victors in the, at the end of the feud. 
I sort of feel like that's where we're going. Because um, I feel like if Kenny wins, then Will has something to continue to chase after. Whereas if Kenny wins, or I'm sorry, if Kenny loses, I don't know that Kenny's going to keep chasing back after Will or after the U.S. title. He has other stuff going on in the company. His attention's going to kind of be diverted. I don't see him being that involved in this whole thing to begin with, you know, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, they could do that FTR, Briscoe's booking pattern, and you can have the last match be a two out of three falls, and then Will gets two wins in one match over Kenny, um, and you kind of end with that kind of Will definitively, you know, beating Kane twice in one night. It, it's also, like, worth, you know, kind of considering, like, what is Will's trajectory through the G1? What's Will's trajectory for Wrestle Kingdom? Where does he stand in relation to the world title? And if this is going to a definitively third match, does that play out at Wembley? Does that play out at next year's Tokyo Dome? You know, those are all worthwhile questions, and I'm not totally sure about it. But I feel like Kenny Omega in Canada on an AEW show (laughs) is going to be the guy standing with the W at the end of the day. And a lot of new Japan fans don't (laughs) want that. And I can see why they don't want that. And I feel like it's a little bit more harsh than maybe the January 5th match was. But um, I think it also kind of depends on what story they tell within the match itself, because the, the story they told on January 5th was immaculate or January 4th was immaculate and really necessitated this rematch, but they can kind of direct where the the next chapter goes. If they tell the right story within the confines of the match itself. Yeah. And you know, for all the people who want will to win the G one, I do see it unlikely for him to win the G one. If he's also the U S champion. I agree. I I think that's going to be very difficult for that to be the case, but you know, New Japan's been weird in 2023, but um, putting it, you know, we're doing the whole analytical side of things. I personally, as much as I love Kazushka Okada, as much as I love Brian Danielson, as, <laughs> as, as good as that match is going to be, and I have no doubt it's going to be an all-timer. I think that this match is going to outperform that match, and we're going to get something really special in Canada on this evening with these two guys. And um, I'm kind of scared because they <laughs> fucking did some crazy shit earlier this year. and They're going to try and top themselves again. Yeah. Again, they were holding back on January 4th. Imagine what they're going to do come this Sunday. At the same time, Will's coming off of injury. Kenny's had his own you know, health issues in the recent past. Got to wonder how much that's going to play into the way that they work this match as well. True, yeah. Gotcha. And is this going to be the main event? I don't know. It feels like it should be, though, right? Yeah, I mean, in Canada, in Kenny's home country, the, the way this match has been built up, just the aura around it, I think it kind of has to be. Like, what what follows this? <laughs> like, you're going to throw, you know, Sonata and Jungle Boy <laughs> out after this? You're going to throw... Don't M- do that. Don't do that. That's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to throw MJF and Tanahashi out after this? Come on. Come on, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I see what you're saying. 
some questions here. First from uh, Heavenly Halbeard says, do you think Osprey should win the U.S. belt back at Forbidden Door, or do you think it would feel sort of anticlimactic to the story they were telling at Wrestle Kingdom? Do you think they should just go ahead and have him win regardless, given the injury issues both Osprey and Omega have had in the recent past? I think the story's more epic if Will loses again and has something to chase, because deep down, I'm kind of hoping he gets put over in Wembley. Yeah. I think that Wembley is a great spot for Will to kind of finally get the big win over Kenny. Or there's potential to hold it out to the Tokyo Dome for next year. So there's a lot of different things they could do. Um, But yeah, yeah, I think Wembley would be a great place for that. But if they do, I mean, this could just be a deal where it's you beat me, I beat you, we go our separate ways. And that is plausible. Yeah. Uh, next question here, Death Triangle 720, with only four matches announced for Forbidden Door, what other matches do you think will be added? Well, we're going to talk about some of the matches that have been teased here in a moment, but uh, I really, aside from the stuff they've indicated, I, I just imagine the rest of it's going to be tag matches. Yeah, so yeah, we'll go over some uh, potential additions for that. Uh, then MJSPR, I think similar question now that we have the top four matches for Forbidden Door 2 set. Which match do you think will be main eventing, and what order would you stack these matches? They might want to consider opening the show with one of these matches. I wouldn't be surprised. I know this sounds fucked up, but I wouldn't be surprised if Sonata and Jungle Boy open the show. Yeah, I mean, it, that they would have a kind of hot pay-per-view opener match it, it's for the IWGP world title uh, I think it would kind of kick the show off on, on a good a good pace all right so uh, now let's look at some uh, potential addition so um, some matches that have been teased but not confirmed Orange Cassidy versus Zack Sabre Jr. and uh, Daniel Garcia versus Shibata so Last week, well, there was a backstage segment with uh, those guys, and there is a tag match coming this Wednesday on Dynamite with Orange Cassidy and Shibata teaming up to take on Zack Sabre Jr. and Daniel Garcia. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of interesting because last year's Forbidden Door had quite a few tag matches on it. There have been those complaints about some of the crossover shows with New Japan and other companies where it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're bringing on a lot of stars, but you're not doing enough singles matches. And uh, it feels like they're getting ready to move into, like you said, Orange Cassidy and Zack Sabre Jr., potentially a champion versus champion, winner-takes-all situation, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, and um, I think it's cool, too, with both of those guys kind of having super great reigns right now, a lot of defenses. Like, Zack's had a ton of TV defenses. Orange Cassidy is like on his thousandth <laughs> defense of the international title. Low key, they're like having the two best singles title runs in their collective respective companies, and they're going head to head. And they're both really great performers, but in their own different and very specific, unique ways. It's kind of a, a very cool match. Um, and then you got Daniel Garcia and Shibata, which is being teased. It sounds like it's probably having happening uh, on this show. I wasn't sure if that was happening on ROH or not because it felt 
like it might happen in ROH as well. Yeah, there is a pay-per-view next month. I think it's Death Before Dishonor in, in July. So you, you do need some matches for that. But, I mean, they've really kind of ramped up teasing this. Um, Garcia beat DKC on ROH TV last week. So it seems like they're really in this tag match on Wednesday. It seems like they'll do a pure rules title match at Forbidden Door. But New Japan and AEW at this rate, if they don't start stacking up a few tag matches, which it doesn't seem like they are that we know of right now, then a lot of a lot of big stars are going to get left off these shows. And granted, we are getting a pretty quality card, so I can't totally complain about it. But I I wouldn't. I mean, they've got such big matches at the top that I don't know that we need a bunch of other singles matches that are going to get less time i'd be fine i mean some of those tag matches those six mans and eight man tags we got last year were really awesome yeah i i I would i wouldn't mind having some of those on the bottom yeah uh another potential matchup we could have the njpw strong women's champion willow nightingale take on the AEW women's world champion tony storm They've kind of been teasing that on Dynamite and on Collision. There was a uh, mixed tag with Willow and Sky Blue defeating uh, Tony and um, Ruby Soho with Sky Blue getting the win there. So you could kind of continue that rivalry and then have a Willow and Tony champ versus champ. I mean, you want to get into the stardom conversation? No, I'm just (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of funny because on paper, if you really think about it, this is technically just an an all AEW match, Willow versus Tony Storm. They're both contracted there, but it's fine. Um, I think it would be a great highlight for Willow because I liked her work from what I saw in the New Japan ring better than what I've seen so far in AEW. And I think Tony has kind of come more into her own as a heel recently than she did in her initial runs as a babyface in in AEW. So um, I'm, I'm not opposed to that match at all, but obviously uh, Tony Storm's not losing to Willow Nightingale. So that, that part kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another potential situation. We could, we could get some kind of Jericho Suzuki either teaming or against each other. So this Wednesday we're getting Jericho Sammy and Suzuki against Action Andretti, AR Fox, and Darius Martin. So we could get that trio teaming together again to face a trio at Forbidden Door, or there could be some kind of miscommunication between Jericho and Suzuki in that match that maybe that splits off into a Jericho Suzuki one on one. I mean, uh, maybe uh, it'd be fine if we got Jericho and Suzuki one on one. You know, I'm sure some people love that. I'd rather just see them tag together again um, or even against, you know, let's say they, they do have a falling out. You set up a Suzuki team versus a Jericho team. That sounds cool too. So yeah, strong style, strong style against uh, Jericho, Sammy and Hager, maybe something like that, or who knows, you know, this is where you can kind of get unique and creative and do some wacky stuff. I'd like to see some wackiness, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, some another potential. Uh, so Andrade, he defeated Buddy Matthews on Collision on Saturday. Post match, he got jumped by the House of Black. So you could do like Andrade and two members of Lij challenging House of Black for the AEW Trios titles. Um, and we did have two questions revolving Lij from Rambo and Slam Pig. 
Do you think Naito will appear on this year's Forbidden Door show? Or is he too tranquilo for that? He didn't appear last year, but this year there was several there are several former CMLL stars like Andrade and Roosh, who is connected to and have recently severed ties with Triple A. My understanding is that the whole Triple A thing with Roosh is still very uh very much up in the air and that like Roosh is not going to be appearing on Forbidden Door. As far as like the Andrade connection, I don't know. I couldn't speak to that. But Naito is the one really big star that didn't show up last year and doesn't seem to be set to show up this year as far as we know currently. But I would, I I think they should set something up for him and and the other guys in LIJ. They're such a popular unit in Japan. It would seem kind of ridiculous if they're not on the show. Yeah. Second question was, do you think Hiromu will get a defense of the junior heavyweight title at Forbidden Door? There won't be a lot of opportunities over the summer with the G1 going, so it would be good to get one in, but it's the lack of a weight class split in AEW an impediment to that. No, because they just have to adhere to the rules of New Japan's weight class, which is 220, essentially. Um, and that's that's a situation where I think that they could get creative. I would be very open to like the same way they did a four-way for the IWGB title last year. Let's do a four-way for the title this year in uh, New Japan. Why not, you know? Yeah. Do like uh, Hiromu against like Darby. Um, it'll also be good to throw in there. I would say Phoenix, but I don't know if with him not being in CMLL or if that would if that would fly. That's probably not a realistic pro- uh, possibility, but I don't know. I'm kind of just looking at their their roster of guys that they have. Uh, but yeah, maybe like Bandito. I don't know if he would be eligible. Well, he uh, uh, he broke his wrist in the to catch the match. Oh, gotcha. Uh, but Dante Ar- Dante Martin, Darby Allen, those guys kind of fit that mold. Um, Hook is an- another possibility. <laughs> um, what are some guys that you're thinking? John Silver. Yeah, Silver's good. Um, Pac, I don't know where where I know where he is with his recovery. I think Pac would be. Pac maybe Commander. Um, you know they've they've got a few different people out there. Yeah, I, I keep wanting to throw luchadors, but I just don't know how the whole CMLL relationship thing works with guys like Commander Matt, Matt Seidel. Yeah, yeah, your, your trainer. Yeah, you know if you're looking for somebody to lay down, he's probably the guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Action Andretti is a guy you can throw in there. You know, uh, we don't know what the Young Bucks are doing for this show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could throw. <laughs> The Young Bucks in there. Um, let's see who else is on this roster. Sammy Guevara is another possibility. Um, you know, and we're just and there's some other smaller names as well. Um, Stu Grayson. He, you know, there's when I say smaller names, I don't mean Stu. I mean like people that we're not listing, like Serpentico and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, but they've got options. Um, Wheeler, Utah. You know, he's another guy who's been invested in the Super Junior. So what they could do if they wanted, they could do like a scramble style match and do like a four or a six way. I know we've been a little critical of those in the past, but AEW doesn't do a lot of those. And New Japan definitely doesn't do hardly any of those for their, you know, IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. 
it might be a good idea, but I don't know if it's realistically going to happen. But if they're looking to continue that stretch for his, you know, defense record, it might not be a bad idea to to throw one of those on there. But yeah, the uh, way things are going, they might even just do like a singles match. Yeah, Kyle O'Reilly, another name who's uh, I know he's got return. He's um, supposed to be returning soon. So if he's ready to go from his injury in in Canada, I mean. That'd, that'd be huge. I think him and Pack are two guys that, like, they probably do fit the mold, but they probably don't want to be seen as juniors any longer, so they probably wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, him and Darby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we've been trying to book that match for forever now. <laughs> I think him and, I think him and like, Dante Mart, like, if, if they were to do a match like that, you throw Dante Mart in there, you have him be the, the pin eater well, sort of Dante's still out, too, with his, uh, the, the leg injury from oh, gotcha. the, the ROH. My bad. Yeah. His brother. Well, throw his brother in there, then. <laughs> yeah. Darius. Um, and the last thing, there's the, the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament is supposed to be starting at this show as well, Ricky Starks and yeah. Will Hobbs, Powerhouse Hobbs, are the uh, two names so far that have been announced for the tournament. That's another reason why I'm not sure that they're going to do a bunch of tag matches on the undercard at all, even though you feel like they should. Because, yeah, they got the Owen Hart tournament to begin, and they haven't announced anybody for it. And I'm feeling like maybe some of those better names from New Japan, because it Felt like we were going to get New Japan involvement on some level. Um, you know, that's where maybe you start throwing in like an Ishii or Goto or something like that. Mm-hmm. Guys that can lose, that are very good, that, you know, have some name value, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, Adam Cole, uh, with him winning the Owen last year and kind of, they're kind of keeping him away from MJF. After he should be in it again. Yeah, I think he'll be because he has a promo for Wednesday, and I'm sure MJF will be focused on Tanahashi. So you could have somebody come out from New Japan that Cole will face in the, the, the first round of the Owen. So, yeah, so that is Forbidden Door. Like I said, Dynamite this week, uh, which will air live on NJPW World for Japanese subscribers, so uh, really trying to get that that build going for that show. Uh, so we got Chibata and Cassidy against Daniel Garcia and Zack Sabre Jr., Jericho Suzuki and Sammy against Action Andretti, AR Fox, and Darius Martin. And plus, I'm sure we'll see other face to faces and run ins on Dynamite and on Collision. Yeah, for all you folk that were out there that were like, we need a better build, well, this is the week where you some of those wishes might be answered and we're going to find out a lot more about what this card is actually going to be on Wednesday. And who knows, maybe even Friday and Saturday, the way this company is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's uh, shift now into uh new Japan road, road to strong. We had two uh, road to strong shows this past weekend. Uh, first unfortunate news though, was our man Doki. He uh, got a fever and was unable to compete on both of these road shows just due to precautions and uh, his health. So hopefully Doki gets uh, well soon, but he had to be uh, removed from both of these cards. Yeah, we had um, night six of New Japan Road, Road to uh, New Japan Strong (laughs) on June 17th from uh, Hachiochi, uh, Tokyo, Japan. 
Uh, we had a reported attendance of just over 1,500, which it didn't seem like that on tape, but apparently that's the case. Uh, Master Wato defeated Kosei Fujita, 5 minutes, 24 seconds. Oleg Bolton and Tomoaki Hanma defeated Ryazuki Taguchi and Yuto Nakashima, 8 minutes, 54 seconds. House of Tortures, Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro defeated the cast team of Hiroki Goto and Yano, along with Tenzan and Togi Makabe, 11 minutes and 17 seconds. The United Empire team of Francesco Akira, Great Okan, and TJP defeated the Bull Club War Dog team of Clark Connors, Drilla Maloney, and Ghetto, 11 minutes and 55 seconds. Bull Club War Dogs, Alex Coughlin, and Gabe Kidd defeated Oscar Luebe and Yoshihashi, 11 minutes, 39 seconds. The cast team of Okada, Ishii, and Yo, along with Tanahashi, defeated Strong Style, uh, Desperado, and Renarita, along with Shota Umino and Tiger Mask, 11 minutes and 8 seconds. Semi-main event, Losinger Novelist de Japon, Shingo, and Naito defeated Just Five Guys, Taichi, and Takamichinoku, 14 minutes and 2 seconds. And then your main event, LIJ team of Hiromu and Yotsuji defeated the Just Five Guys team of Sonata and Kanemaru. 20 minutes and 23 seconds. Yeah, so a lot of interesting kind of stories happening here on this tour. So we have the whole uh, kind of rise of the Bullet Club War Dogs, which seems to be the whole name of that whole side of the faction because the, the ring announcers, even in the in the uh, Maloney and Connors match, announced that whole unit as Bullet Club War Dogs. So it seems like Finley's unit, his whole club is the Bullet Club War Dogs. Um, so those guys... Clark Connors, Drill and Maloney, they're challenging for the junior tag team titles at the Independence Day show, challenging Akira and TJP. So they got some heat on those guys after the match, and uh, they're really doing a great job building that rivalry. And then also um, Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin, you know, they're challenging for both titles, strong titles on the first night, IWGP on the second night. And so post-match, you know, they laid out Yoshihashi, Goto tried to make a save. They laid Goto out also. And we're uh, standing strong with the titles. Yeah. Um, well, no, no, no. Not on the first night. On the first night, they tried to lay out the champions. And the champions got comeuppance and laid them out. And oh, kind of right, promo on them. Yeah, I'm mixing. It's all with the, ch- the titles. Yeah, I'm mixing nights up. Yeah, the second night is where they uh, laid them out. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they they were jumping um, Yoshihashi. um at that point, Goto came out, made the save, and they showed the War Dogs what was what. Got you know, left them backpedaling and stood tall with the titles. Cut a promo on them and sort of embarrassed them. Um, other big news: so the eight-man tag team match featuring Okada and Tanahashi, along with uh, Ishii and Yo against Strong Style and Umino and Tiger Mask, was very interesting because we got sort of a preview for the G1. We saw a lot of tension in the match between Umino and Narita, where they're going to be in the same block and they're not working well together and a lot of miscommunication, a lot of uh, animosity, and and it led to them being defeated. Um, Aside from that, there was a lot of heat between Ishii and uh, Desperado, and it sort of seems like we might be angling to, to a singles match between those guys in some form or fashion down the road. Um. But at the end of this match, we got a promo where uh, John Moxley basically 
announced that yes, he's coming to Japan and he's bringing homicide and they're going to face off against Desperado and Jun Kasai. But he also challenged Desperado to a singles death match on the following evening, which Desperado cut a promo, accepted the challenge. And then he brought Jun Kasai out to the ring, which was a very bewildering sight to finally see Jun Kasai in a New Japan ring for the first time. Yeah, the crowd uh, kind of oohed and awed about that. Yeah, he came out, took his shirt off, revealed all his scars all over his body, and he accepted uh, the, the match. But he told Despy, you know, he, it has to be a stipulation that Jun Kasai would like. He's not just going to do like a regular tag match. So that is also now going to be a uh, no DQ match. One last thing at the end of the show. Uh, we got the main event with, uh, you know, Hiromu Yotsuji taking on champion Sonata and Kanemaru. And Jeremy, I think we do need to have some discussion about Sonata's reactions on both this night and the following evening, which were basically no reaction whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, these are just road to shows. These are smaller shows, but I've always felt like what's happening on these Rotu shows are usually strong indicators of uh, a greater overall vibe throughout Japan. Sonata's not getting reactions, bro. He's not even getting the kind of reactions he used to get when he was with LIJ, when he used to do his hot signature moves and he would point his finger to his ear and Mm -hmm. kind of get the obligatory pops. They're not even responding to that stuff. They started this match off with Sonata and Suji doing the house show. You go to the top rope. I go to the yeah, top the rope. Whole, like right. She was like, right. Yeah. And they were trying to pretend like there was uh, some sort of reaction between the Yotas and the Sonatas, but there was no Sonata chance. There was no reaction. When he came out with the title, there was nothing at all. And I do think that as, as much as much praise as I've, heaped on the title reign and as strong as he's looked this was the first time in this title reign where i felt like both times the look on sonata's face was one of bewilderment and uh like uncertainty he didn't look confident and he wasn't getting reactions and most of the time during the matches when he was wrestling and he was doing his big spots like the dive to the outside uh, the skull end and the moonsault. There was it was crickets, bro, for real. And and it would just be one thing if the crowd was dead, but they were responding to Suji and they were really spawn responding to Hiromu. They were not responding to Sonata. Yeah, I think the first night they were in, I don't know if it was Hiromu's hometown. There was something with some Hiromu connection with the city that they were in. On- they were in Hachioji. I looked it up a little bit. It's like a it's a part of Tokyo. It's like 500k. It's not necessarily a small outpost. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, it, it's it's kind of metropolitan. Yeah, Hiromu has some kind of connection there because there was like a special like ring announcement for him, and uh, uh, there, there was some kind of connection there. So I understand why the crowd would have been probably more into Lij, but yeah, like you mentioned, there was not really any chance for. Um, Sonata and just five guys here. So again, I don't know if it's kind of a, it was like LIJ territory thing or it's just like, yeah, Sonata is just not hitting well, at a high level. The next night when he teamed in an eight man tag, they had him enter with, uh, with uh, Tai Chi and him and Tai Chi went through the crowd as opposed to going down the center aisle 
and Tai Chi sort of led him and they interacted with the crowd and like slapped hands and he got a better reaction from that sort of method, but he still looked very dejected and sort of, uh, when they, when they gave him the ring announcement that night, he also didn't get any sort of chant or any sort of pop whatsoever. And that was in Sakura in Chiba. Um, and he used to get reactions before this character switch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so I, I am wondering if the domestic crowd is even, I mean, on the big shows, I hear him get reactions. They're not massive reactions, but on these smaller shows, just recently, I know it's anecdotal, but he's not getting reactions, man. It's true. Yeah, I mean, maybe they, they saw the Dominion match. You saw, you saw that, you know, hot newcomer, Yota Suji. Like, Suji's getting reactions on both. He got Suji had hot reactions on both shows. And Suji was kind of a dick. Like, the whole time they're like announcing him, Suji's like smiling next to him and like taking away from his shine. <laughs> Like he kind of knows what the score is, bro. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I don't know what what they're gonna do with Sonata. Um, he might be coming off that belt real quick after G one. <laughs> the next night we had um, New Japan Road, and this was titled the Yuji Nagata Produce Blue Justice Twelve Blue Justice Returns, celebrating Yuji Nagata's anniversary in wrestling. They had a slightly better crowd of seventeen hundred and some change. Uh, opening match: Kosei Fujita. And uh, Ryohei Oiwa, they wrestled to a 10-minute time limit draw. After that, Oleg Bolton and Rizuki Taguchi defeated Asuka Buebe and Tiger Mask. Uh, following that, there's an eight-man tag team match as Yano, Yo, Yoshihashi, and Makabe defeated uh, the four-man team of House of Torture. Following that, the United Empire team of Akira, Great Okan, and TJP defeated the Bull Club team of Clark Connors, Driller Maloney, and Ghetto. After that, the tag team match between the Bull Club War Dogs, Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd. They defeated Hiroki Goto and Yuto Nakashima. Um, third from the top, Shota Umino and Strong Styles, El Desperado and Ren Narita, defeated the Chaos six-man tag team of Okada, uh, Tomohiro uh, Ishii, along with Tomoaki Hanma. Semi-main event, the LIJ team of Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Yotsuji defeated just five guys, team of Sonata, Taichi, Taka, and Kenemaru. And then in your main event, we had Hiroshi Tanahashi, Master Wato, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata as they defeated the All Japan team of Zanichi Shin Jedi, uh, which is the team of Atsuki, Aoyagi, and uh, Kento Miyahara, Yuma Anzai, and Yuma Aoyagi, 23 minutes and 51 seconds. Yeah, so again, like we mentioned on the first night, we're Painting the storyline of the Bull Club War Dogs and their quest for a championship goal in the uh, six man with United Empire. Uh, this time, you know, the Bull Club War Dogs tried to, to lay out the champs, but the champs got the, the better of them this time and kind of had uh, Maloney and Clark, you know, fending off and scurrying up the, to the, the ramp boy to the back. And so they were standing strong um, against the challengers. And then in the, um, the heavyweight Bullet Club War Dogs, Gabe and Coughlin, uh, they got revenge from the previous night, and they, they were laid out Yoshihashi and Goto, cut a promo post-match, and uh, yeah, those guys are looking really good. Um, we had a continuation of Umino and Arita not getting along in the tag match. They, they were getting really heated, 
And so I'm really looking forward for, for that match in G1. Um, but they did get the, the win here this time. Yeah, but in this match, what was interesting is like it got so heated that Umino literally attacked uh, Narita to get him out of the way so he could secure the win for their team, which is kind of <laughs> unique. I haven't seen that too much, which was and then they went like, uh, you know, nose to nose and were really heated at the post match. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, beginning of the match, they were arguing who's going first, but Okada picked Narita over uh, Umino. Mind games and Okada still just kind of, you know, facilitating the big bad sort of role in this situation. One thing I want to point about the War Dogs that they did a little different on this night. Alex Coughlin came down the, the center stage, but Gabe Kidd entered into the ring like he was Stan Hansen or Terry Funk and went straight through the crowd with a, a steel chair, started tossing steel chairs like he was Terry Funk. And it was very effective, very believable. And I kind of enjoy that sort of, uh, you know, monster gaijin throwback sort of energy, which is something severely lacking in New Japan in years. Like last guy that kind of brought that was like Jericho. Yeah. Um, uh, so that was cool. Another note with uh, Vegeta and Oiwa. So that 10 minute uh, time limit draw, Oiwa had Vegeta in the, the Boston Crab. Look, um, he was about the ta- for a time limit draw. But, you know, it seems like Vegeta being a part of TMDK, like he's been winning more. And if he is in a losing position, it ends up being a draw. So very interesting here. They didn't beat him. They, they had the time limit draw here. The story of this show, though, the big match, the main event was obviously Yuji Nagata. He's the current reigning All Japan Triple Crown champion. Um, and then you had this collective uh, group from All Japan. Kento Miyahara has been the longtime reigning ace of the company and then uh yuma unzai is sort of the superstar super rookie that was recently just defeated by yuji nagata in, for a title challenge um and then you know atsuki aoyagi and yuma aoyagi were there there's a lot of people with a lot of different title belts i wasn't sure who was <laughs> champions of what on this team but it was definitely great to kind of get uh, a little bit of exposure for these guys uh, kind of freshen things up. And uh, Kenta Mihara, clearly, again, the biggest star on that group. Yeah, he and got a really great reaction. For, yeah, he got, and that's, bro, that's another thing. That's a, that's that's what I'm talking about. Like, when we talk about, like, I was, one thing I thought about was, like, the, the whole thing with Sonata is, like, okay, he's not getting great reactions, but maybe these are dead shows. But then Kenta Mihara from All Japan walks out, and he's got the whole crowd lively chanting for him. And I'm like... It's a Sonata issue. It's not a crowd issue, you know? Yeah. Um, so that there's something to be said about that. But uh, ultimately, uh, Nagata picked up the win with one of his Nagata locks, which uh, he hit a, a version of the Nagata lock that I really love where he traps the arm in a crossface and uses their own arm to choke themselves out the crossface. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, it was dope. And then post-match, he was challenged by somebody, but and I, I should know who it is. I think it was probably one of the Aoyagi's, but I don't follow all Japan, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know who which one it was either, but yeah, he got a challenge for a, a title match. And uh, yeah, I know they're 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 building uh, a title match, and actually there was someone on commentary from um, All Japan as well, and I wasn't sure who <laughs> it was. Yeah, well, it would have been nice if we had some English commentary. Yeah, it would have been nice if we had some English commentary to kind of <laughs> clue us in on what's going on. Uh but uh, yeah, uh, we 
this coming oh we did have a question uh death triangle 720 says who do you think uh of the returning talent has been the best showcase so far i mean i i feel like narita suji and uh umino have all been showcased well and i think those three guys i think are kind of standing out of the pack of guys who have been coming back yeah it's too soon to tell honestly they've all had their own growing pains but if if i were to answer you today i think suji yeah but it's been such a you know a short term thing it's hard to say what that's going to look like long term um this we did get the full cards announced for new japan strong independence day one and day two Yep, so on night one, July 4th, both of these are in uh, Cork and Hall on pay-per-view on NJPW World. Uh, the kickoff match will be Dragon Libre, Kingo, and Taka- Takahiro Katori versus Oscar Lube, Risuke Taguchi, and Yo. And then the main card will open up with uh, Bad Dude Tito from TMDK taking on the DKC. We will have Alex Zane, Lance Archer, and Ray Oiwa against the Team Filthy team of Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, and J.R. Kratos. Filthy Tom Lawler will take on Kosei Fujita. Eddie Kingston and our good friend Rocky Romero will take on Gato and Kenta. Then we will have the NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team title match as Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi will defend against the Bullet Club War Dogs of Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd. Then in the semi-main event, there will be a Doomsday no-disqualification tag team match as Homicide and John Moxley will take on El Desperado and June Kasai. And then the main event will be for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles as Catch 2-2. Francisco Akira and TJP will defend against the Bullet Club War Dog team of Clark Connors and Trilla Maloney. Yeah, um, interesting cards. Uh, there were a few names you listed there at the beginning. I have no clue who they are. Neither do I. I think, yeah, it's part of that, that kickoff match thing. Uh, and so then for night two, we'll have uh, Master Wato, Oleg Bolton, and Rusuke Taguchi taking on Dragon Libre, Rekka, and Takahiro Katori. Then we'll have J.R. Kratos taking on Oscar Lube, Rocky Romero and Yo taking on Clark Connors and Drilla Maloney, Kanahashi, DKC, and Ishii taking on Team Filthy's Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, and Tom Lawler, Alex Zane and Lance Archer versus Bad Dude Tito and Kosei Vegeta of TMDK. Homicide will team up with Roya Oiwa to take on Catch 2 2. Then we'll have the IWGP tag team titles on the line, Bishamon defending against. Coglin and Gabe Kidd. Semi-main event will be final death between John Moxley and El Desperado. And then the main event will be for the NJPW Strong Openweight title as Kenta will defend against Eddie Kingston. Yeah, uh, strong cards. Some interesting choices. I'm sure as we get closer to that event, we'll do a full prediction and uh, preview. But um, yeah, uh, some big names, some big matches, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, interesting. Uh, no Fred Rosser. Yeah, I thought he was supposed to be on it. Yeah, he was advertised um, for these shows, but I don't know what was going uh, on I wonder there. if something happened. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, let's jump into the news here. So this past week, Tony Khan was on post-wrestling 
Uh, during the interview, uh, he specifically used the word excursion to describe opportunities that young AEW wrestlers might have in the near future with partner companies like New Japan. So um, something we kind of discuss, it might be a situation where they send young talent over to Japan, to New Japan and various other companies to have learning excursions, which is probably severely needed at this point, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kelly was announced this past week as part of the commentary team for AEW's Collision. And um, our understanding is he's going to have basically a dual deal for the time being with both companies. Um, He is going to continue to do the G1 in English for New Japan and sort of step away from his role doing Collision and have people step in in the meantime. But my understanding from what we've heard is he will be working for both companies. They have a working relationship. And the only time he's going to be stepping away from collision duties uh, is when there's like very big New Japan shows that he needs to be a part of. They'll have coverage. But other than that, he's going to be every Saturday night doing collision. Yeah, and shout out to a uh, friend of the show, Chris Samsa, who's also going to be providing stats to Kevin similarly to what he does uh, for New Japan as well. So. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and congratulations to uh, Kevin. I don't know long term what this means. If it's uh, you know something that could eventually lead to him leaving New Japan, which is definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope it's not the case, but you, you just never know. But yeah, uh, Daniel Garcia defeated the DKC on ROH this past week, and he obviously he is still pursuing that pure title that is held by uh, Katsuri Shibata. Osprey, Cobb, and Fletcher defeated uh, Chaos Trio on Rampage this past week. And last bit of news, tickets are now on sale for the Multiverse United uh, 2 show. And Tanahashi has been announced for that show. Yep. So uh, going to questions here. Uh, Less Commission 7252 says, What is one junior y'all would love to see return for either a short uh a short previous time. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Me I don't know what he said there, but yeah. yeah. Uh, tournament or a special tag match. I watched a clip from the final night of Best Super Juniors from 2018, and one of the moments in the show was ACH dancing to Naito's theme. I had to remember how good ACH was in NJPW and the nice treatment he was given while there. I, I like ACH a lot. I'd like to see him come back. I mean, if I could just choose one junior that I'd like to have back in New Japan, it's going to be Dragon Lee probably. Yeah, I mean, Dragon Lee is a great option. I would probably say Ricochet. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great choice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, HDH too. I mean, yeah, HDH was OB. I've seen people, yeah, recently, I don't know why it kind of popped up, but people have been sharing, yeah, the ACH dancing, the Nitos music. Uh, Party Skrull? Mmm. Maybe we'll pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Even though New Japan probably would try that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, moving on to Dark Soldier. It says, Hiromu's reign has been refreshing. Could New Japan take the belt off of him before he accomplishes what he sets out to do? It's just NJPW has done this before, where a wrestler makes a promise to be a fighting champion like Taichi, wanting to defend the Never Belt against Juniors, or Juice aiming to avenge his G1 losses. Then immediately it takes the belt off of them. I'm just worried for Hiromu. Well, th- th- there's the difference there. You're comparing 
Hiromu Takahashi, one of the biggest stars in the company and in the country, to Juice Robinson and Taichi. And they're not the same caliber of star that he is, regardless of how individual fans feel about those talents. It's just not the same situation. Yeah. Uh, could they do a situation where he doesn't reach his goal? Sure. But I think it, it's now or never. Either you 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 do it now, or if you tell a story where he doesn't reach his goal, it's very likely he never will because it's such a lengthy and lofty endeavor. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they, I hope they do do it. I think it would be cool to kind of get Hiromu up in that kind of you know echelon with those top juniors. But again, we've talked about you know Gato booking heartbreak, so there is a potential. That yeah, he could get close and not it not happen, but I think they're gonna go with it. Uh, next question he says, guys, I love you too. You guys are always a great and dependable listen every week. But I need to know just why do you think Moxley is better in NJPW than he is in AEW? It just sounds like ridiculous fanboy behavior. Moxley since day one in AEW has been treated like a top guy. Multiple time world champion and always in top angles. When he isn't in the world title picture, his grudge angles are equal to that of the world title scene. Moxley in NJPW is just an upper card guy. And while his presentation and matches are great, how can you so easily just chuck his success and status on AW aside so fast? AW has problems, but they've done right by Mox his entire time there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all true. I, I'm not denying any of that. Um, when I say I like him better in New Japan, and this taking taking – I don't want that to sound like I'm diminishing what he's accomplished in AEW or that he isn't great there because he is. I mean, there's a reason this guy has won Wrestler of the Year. What is it? Three twice. Times been, twice. Is it just twice? Yeah. Okay, just twice. Just two times he's been the top wrestler in the entire industry while he's been there. And make no mistake, as cool and as good as a lot of his work in New Japan has, it's not because of what he's done in New Japan. It's because he's an industry-leading guy in AEW. I get all that. I'm not denying it. He just feels cooler in New Japan than he does in AEW. Yeah. And he just does. He feels cooler. He's got better music. The Death Rider name is a cooler name than the name that he has when he's, I mean, the Paradigm Shift. That's cool, I guess. But, like, the Death Rider is badass. Um, I also like when he, he might not be doing this anymore, but when he first came back and he was wearing the biker shorts and the wrestling shoes, I thought that was such a cool look as opposed to the, uh, you know, the the army fatigues or the cargo pants, that sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he actually explained on uh, Renee's podcast why he. Uh, I heard that, yeah, <laughs> but I, I and that made me like kind of sad that he's not gonna go back. I hope he goes back to it because I like when he was wearing that, but um, he seems to have a certain reverence and um appreciation for Japan that maybe he just doesn't. I'm not saying he doesn't bring that same intensity sometimes to AEW. He does. But it's really hard to maintain that every week when you're doing weekly episodic television. But when he shows up in Japan, boy, does he fucking show up. And it just feels special and it feels real. And he feels dialed in and plugged in in a way he doesn't always feel 
in AEW. I just personally enjoy him more in New Japan. The other thing too, as great as everything he does in AEW is, and he's done some great stuff. Let's not gloss over the fact that he does some hokey shit in AEW too. <laughs> Sometimes he gets into some really kind of goofy, hokey, maybe not the way I want wrestling to be presented sort of in, you know, environment. And I could probably point to certain things like when he's doing comedy with Eddie Kingston or some of the stuff with his feuds with Jericho and MJF. Uh, and I'm not completely dis- dismissing the entire programs, but there's definitely been times where I'm like, you know, and then lately in the Blackpool Combat Club, like his promos, I just don't get it. Like they, they don't connect with me. This is not the guy that I see as the top star. Um, again, I love Mox in in AEW. I just I like him better in New Japan. He, he's cooler in New Japan. Yeah, there's just something about like his presentation and his aura in New mm-hmm. Japan. Like it it feels special every time he's there. And again, maybe that's because you know he's not there weekly right but even like pre-pandemic when he was doing more new japan tours like it just felt like there's just something different about how he was being presented there and there's just i don't know there's just i don't know how to explain it's like a special like that's kind of aura around him in new japan that's just not quite there in aw let me and, and this is off subject but let me just put it to you this way Cody feels more special in WWE than he did in AEW. Yeah, definitely. I, I like him better in WWE than I did when he was in AEW. And it's kind of similar. He feels special. Mox, as even though he's the quote-unquote top guy in AEW, and he's booked like it, he feels more special in New Japan to me. Yeah, same here. Uh, his last question says, this isn't a New Japan question, but it's still of values. As young boy, Steve Macklin lost... The Impact World title to former time splitter Alex Shelley. We know you and many forgot Macklin, but how do you feel about the not forgotten Alex Shelley winning the Impact title? Long overdue and pretty cool, right? You know, I was complaining about Steve Macklin win- winning the title, but from all reports, maybe they should have just kept the title on him. <laughs> People were saying he's having like really incredible matches. I don't watch Impact, so. Far be it for me to be the the person. I just think the name Steve Macklin sound, sounds like Burt Macklin from Parks and Rec and is a terrible wrestling name. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they put the title on Shelly. I don't know if that's the right thing, the right move one way or the other. But I, I it is cool. You know, Al Shelly's, you know, long overdue for a world title reign. But uh, I don't know if that was the right move or not. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to hear that Shelly won because it seemed like they were really kind of going all in on Macklin and trying to create a new star, and it sounded like his title run was, yeah, pretty good. But, I mean, yeah, Alex Shelly, longtime veteran, longtime veteran of Impact slash TNA, so it is kind of a cool kind of story for him to win the world title and having Saban win the X Division title on the same night. Um, you you can potentially have Saban, you know, do option C and cash in the face Shelly. That would be pretty cool. Uh, Saban versus Shelly main event for the world title. But yeah, uh, big up, big shout out to Alex Shelly. He's great and it's cool that he's getting a world title run. Uh, and Data's PR says in celebration of Father's Day, the Discord daddy wants to know which New Japan dad is your personal fave and which dad has raised the most successful kids. I don't know 
how many kids any of these gentlemen have. And I don't know how many dojo sons they've raised either. <laughs> but I'm a Nagata guy, so. I think we all know I'm a Kojima guy. <laughs> yeah. Kojima came out with the new the new gear today. Man, it's getting, yesterday. getting ready for another title run, you know. <laughs> her, her Noah needs some help. Her All Japan needs some help. <laughs> uh, Ethan in Discord says If you were a young lion Where would you like to go for excursion? 1980's Jim Crockett <laughs> uh, I think he means like a realistic Like if you're a young lion right now <laughs> Where would you go on excursion? I don't know CMLL I guess I don't know yeah, CMLL learn to do the flips, you know, do the lucha, get the get the big pops. Somewhere secret, maybe White Wolf Wrestling in Spain. Learn to <laughs> wrestle like the A Kid. <laughs> what happened know. to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, his next question: With United Empire signing Callum Newman to be their young boy and likely pin eater. Where do you see Gideon Gray's position within the Empire? Yeah, where the fuck is Gideon Gray be- been? I miss that guy. He's been in Rep Pro. I think he has a some big singles match coming up. Bring him back. Free my dog Gideon. Yeah, that that yeah, Gideon Gray was definitely a uh, helpful part of that presentation and a welcomed uh, part of that. Um, I have some questions here from email. I forgot to put on from uh, Barry Walsh. Says hi guys. I had thought about the point you made about Sonata wrestling to his opponent's level. Is this a test to see if he can carry younger wrestlers to good matches like how Okada can? And if he can, it proves he is right at the top. But if the matches are a bit so-so, it might show he can't carry younger or up-and-coming talent or can't dictate matches. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that's plausible and probably likely the case. And I think it also will speak to whether or not they want to keep him at the main event level beyond just this title reign. Yeah. I mean, dude, those young guys are could show him up and it, it could not end up being a, a good tournament for him with all those guys. Like so hungry and super talented. Dude. Suji's already showing him up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Barry also asks, he says, do you think the small moments of evil and show not being on the same page in Best Super Juniors is foreshadowing show turning on evil and joining Finley's new Bullet Club? Murder Machine show seems like a good fit in the group, but would they have too many juniors and can show even be salvaged at this point? What's the question? (laughs) He's asking, you know, remember the, the teases of show leaving evil. If that, right. that if that's for show to leave Half of Torture to join Finley's Bullet Club. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. It's hard to. It's hard to speculate on the whole trajectory of that whole thing. Yeah, honestly, I feel like that ended up just kind of being one of those in tournament storyline things. And I don't think anything else is going to come from it. Um, I mean, I do think show could be salvaged, yes, with better booking and uh, you know less interference and all the, the gaga. But I, it seems like that's the role they have for him, and I don't really see him fitting 
the kind of new aesthetic of Finley's Bullet Club. Well, that's it for questions. Let's move on to recommended match of the week. So last week for the excursion match of the week, I recommended Zack Sabre Jr. against our good friend Rocky Romero from the June 1st episode of ROH TV. Okay. Um, Yes, so I did watch this match um, shortly before we recorded. And... um, it was interesting because I feel like from a technical aspect, did you watch this, Jeremy? No, I haven't watched it yet. Okay. From a technical aspect, I mean, this was top notch, you know, like pure style grappling, uh, professional wrestling. Um, it's something that like, if we did this match in say like my dojo with Matt watching us, he would be praising the shit out of it. Like he would love this match, but this crowd did not give a fuck about anything that was happening. Um, and it's because it was one of those ROH tapings taking place in front of, a, you know, probably a pre or post show for dynamite or something like that. Mm. They just were non reactive to Rocky, to Zach, to anything they did. And it was a really great match. I mean, just, uh, but the crowd was dead, dead, dead. Um, with that being the case, I mean, obviously it was pretty clear that we were always going to get Zach retaining. I think, uh, Rocky getting re- get being able to kind of delve into some of that Yave styling plus his international indie influence. He more than held his own against, uh, Zach when it came to the chain wrestling element. Um, very, very effective, you know, both guys countering one another back and forth. Um, and the match went like, just over 10 minutes around the 11 minute mark. And ultimately uh, they kept countering pinfall attempts into submission attempts. And ultimately Zach caught him in a really beautiful twister, which if you don't, if you've never seen a twister, it's a pretty gnarly submission hold on the ground. And the crowd didn't seem to even know what they were looking at. Yeah, uh, Rocky tapped out like 11 minutes and some change. I enjoyed it a lot. I I could not give this a nom for, you know, recommend a match of the year. It just didn't have that vibe or energy, but uh, still a fantastic effort by both guys. Nice. Um, then for recommended match, you recommended uh, Shibata versus Kota Ibushi from G1 Climax 25. Oh, my gosh, this match was freaking awesome. Um, you know, it kind of reminded me in a way of the Tai Chi Ibushi match where they're just kicking each other, except this one was faster paced and I felt like they were hitting each other harder. And yeah, these guys were kicking each other so hard in this match. And there's the, the great sequence uh, towards the end where they've, they're hitting all these big strikes and then kicking out at one. They exchanged like several pinfalls, kicking out at one. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, Young Abushi, I mean, his just jumping up for like the golden triangle, like he just hit it so smoothly than I've ever seen him do it before. And just, yeah, incredible back and forth and just really hard hitting, intense matchup, uh, ending with Shibata finally getting the PK and uh, getting the win. Uh, great matchup, great recommend here. Nice. Um, so I'm looking at the 
recommendations and you gave me Ishii versus um, Katsuri Shibata G124. Have we not? I feel like we've reviewed this match. Uh, Sh- Shibata versus Hanma? Oh, bro. I misread that. I read <laughs> Tomohiro Ishii versus Shibata and I was like, I know we have. No, I know. because yeah, I, I looked on the list to make sure this wasn't on there. Okay, I yes, this match rules. Yeah, I'll watch it again. I love this match. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, so your recommended match of the week is Katsuri Shibata versus Tomoaki Hanma G124, right in the height of Hanma Mania. That makes all the sense in the world. My bad. Uh, my uh, excursion match of the week is Will Ospreay versus Robbie X from 1PW No Turning Back. Saturday, February 18th of this year for the 1PW World title. And um, it's got a very, very high rating on cage match. Dave Meltzer went four and three quarters on it. So nice. And I did send you the link. It's available on YouTube. So all of our listeners can also watch this for free. Nice. Uh, Definitely looking forward to checking that out. And that's going to wrap things up. So uh, next week, we'll be back to review Forbidden Door. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. Also on the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Instagram at Social Suplex on Reddit I am the pro black guy Josh is keeping a strong style you can email me Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com check out our Discord server Social Suplex Podcast Network and check out all the shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati All Things Elite hosted by Floyd and Austin the AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam and the Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bun, bitches. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 